Another episode of the Gaming Memories Podcast, where I, Cade Call, your host, aka Robocrip, the blessed beat maker and prophet of the one true gaming podcast, duly anointed by the gaming gods themselves to interview creative and interesting people about the favorite gaming memories growing up. The story is Miyamoto, the father of Kojima, the son, and Carmack, the Holy Ghost, appeared to me in vision and said, All oh, the other podcasts suck dick. You gotta make the best one. JK, just kidding. We. Our host today is the host of another podcast. Ha ha! Isn't that awkward that I've been ordained by the gods themselves to make the one true gaming podcast because the other ones, quote, are an abomination unto me. Their mouths draw near to me, but their hearts are far from it. Something like that. I can't really remember. I've told this story a thousand times. It's probably different every single time. Point being, spoiler alert, I'm probably full of shit. But for everyone else that's concerned, I'll let you in on my secret. I'm not really a prophet. For everybody else, I'm a prophet. You should listen to me. I'm the only one whose opinion matters. When I say a game is the GOAT, it's the GOAT. When I say a game has the best soundtrack, it has the best soundtrack. Because I am the only one who can talk to the gaming gods to tell you what is the truth about gaming. But, but, my good friend over at the Still Loading Podcast has got some OG opinions. He's a legitimate, legitimate gamer. I was truly taken aback at how many of the details I thought I might be getting him with. We're talking about gaming history, certain things that I picked up from other podcasts. And I try to drop some knowledge on him and bitch be like... Shit, brother, I already know all of that because I'm a real OG. He's a super nice human being, been podcasting for about five years, the Still Loading Pod. Check it out anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just simply search Still Loading Pod. That also applies to Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and so forth. I will have all the applicable links to his dope shit in the podcast description. We talk, uh, we go off on some on some random things we talk a little bit about the um morality of dlc specifically if it is included on the original game download or the original game disc and is unlocked via paid uh entry a gatekeeper through paid some sort of payment in uh later or if it is simply downloaded later as a separate file um we both play devil's advocate we get into it a little bit here neither here or there it's a pretty good conversation we talk about uh his favorite games growing up he definitely had a bunch not just one but a bunch of games that um no one else has brought up and i thought that was surprising because he is essentially the same age as i am and many of the listeners uh, many of our listeners excuse me are also in the age range between you know between 25 and 45 and I assumed that a lot of the games he was going to bring up would be pretty much standard. Your Zeldas, your Halos, your Marios, um, your Final Fantasies, Chrono, like the big hitters. We did talk a lot about many of the big hitters, but he also brought up a shit ton of games that I had never heard of. And usually by now, I'm like so balls deep into looking at gaming content online. I'm constantly looking at dope new retro games to try out, uh, hacks, 
texture packs, mods for retro games. I'm all up in that business all day, every day during the free time. And so even if I haven't played all the games, I've been exposed in some way, shape, or form to most retro games. And still loading Pod, that motherfucker, that glorious asshole, he he definitely brought the heat. I had a fantastic time. We blasted through three hours before I even what happened. I know that's a long time. And uh, for many of you, you feel like you have sort of that same completionist attitude you bring to RPGs or open world games. You got to do every side quest and it can be daunting to think, shit, this is a three and a half hour podcast. That's too long. I don't want to listen to it. Don't make that mistake because even if you only listen to 30, 40 or 50 minutes of it, selfishly, that helps my numbers out, bitch. And you're supposed to support Profit of the One True Gaming Podcast. I need your faith, brethren and sisters. Soon I'll be launching a Patreon and you can give your tithes to me, the representative of the Lord, as my good friend, the founder of Scientology, I forget his name, L. Ron Hubbard. L. Ron Hubbard once famously was quoted as saying, if you want to get rich, start a religion. I think I'm going to turn the Gaming Memories podcast into religion and Patreon or Patreon, however the hell you want to pronounce it, will be my method of tithing and offerings. That's actually not really good because then I missed the whole tax loophole being classified because Patreon yet to pay taxes. That's actually... Well, that'll work for now, but eventually I'm going to have to script my way around some taxes because that's the whole point of starting a religion. That's besides the point. That's uh, internal talk. You guys are not supposed to know about that. I am bitching and moaning like a motherfucker today. Uh, Oh, I probably shouldn't do that because uh, still loading is... uh, He's really religious. He talks about that in the podcast. Not harping on him. If anyone knows that's not, I'm definitely only bitching and moaning about one religion in particular. And I'm just grumpy, so don't hold that against me. Still Loading Podcast is a bona fide badass, as I like to say. Check his podcast out. Check his Instagram out. Check his website out. He knows his shit. Covers a lot of good stuff, specifically things that are not gaming news. You can get your gaming news and current events from a million different places. But if you want to go deep, if you want to know the lore of the old gods, know the ancient spells of the original progenitors that gave birth to what you know as gaming, if you like to pay tribute to the old gods and their ways, please check out the Still Loading Podcast. I am done ranting and rambling. Yes, I did drink a bunch for you so that this introduction could be as entertaining as possible. And as always, I say these things in the name of Miyamoto the Father, Kojima the Son, and Carmack the Holy Ghost. Please enjoy the show. Amen. Bye-bye. What's up, man? As I was just saying before we started recording, I was stalking you online like any good <laughs> any good person, and I uh, deemed you worthy based on your taste. I like there was definitely a lot of overlap. I could tell you've been doing it for a long time, and you're uh, you could tell you're a real OG. So <laughs> I want just for the people who don't know and haven't been stalking you, you can just give us like a brief rundown of who you are, the podcast, how long you've been going, sort of pitch your podcast, what the format is like, and we'll put links in the description and all that stuff. Sure. Um, so my name is Josh, and I'm the host of the Still Loading Podcast. I've been, the podcast has been running for about five years now, um, give or take a couple months. I don't really remember anymore. Um, the podcast is just a gaming and gaming history podcast. Like I try not to cover too much 
much of the news stuff just because there's already a million and a half podcasts talking about gaming news and I don't feel like I can really add anything to the conversation with that. But what I can do is that there's not a lot of podcasts talking about video game history or just uh, nostalgia, surprisingly. Like there's people who talk about nostalgia in kind of like a nebulous concept, but never really like specific moments. Um, So I started the podcast just because I loved video games and then I didn't really have a format until I kind of got a couple years in. Um, And I I do all kinds of games. I do retro, I do modern. I recently did an episode on Horizon Zero Dawn, but then if you look back a couple years, I did a series called the 40 for 40 series, kind of like an homage to ESPN's 30 for 30 stuff. Uh, But it was 40 complete in the box NES games that I own. I reviewed all of them. Um, And I consider that kind of like my uh, cutting out, like cutting the, uh, I can't think of the expression, but like really learning the ropes of podcasting. Because if you listen to that, it goes all over the place. Some episodes I think are actually pretty good still. Others are just pure shit. So (laughs) I never really, am I allowed to curse, by the way? Are you what? Am I allowed to curse, by the way? Oh, yes. You're very unlikely going to curse more than me. So don't worry about it. I just wanted to make sure I'd, uh, but uh, yeah, so I, um, I, some of those episodes aren't very good. Others I think actually still hold up. So yeah, I, uh, that's how the podcast kind of got started. It just started with a love of video games. I did it with a friend, Justin. Uh, He had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts and him and I are still friends. It's nothing like a personal thing. It's just, he, he was, his availability like plummeted and mine stayed consistent. So I kept on going and uh, here we are five years later and it's hopefully grown a decent amount, but yeah, that's pretty much the vibe of the show. It's just a podcast that covers video games, video game history, um, and just anything that I find interesting in video game culture. I've interviewed some composers. I do like, I try to think up quirky ideas. Like I did an episode on, I uh, called Still Loading Storytime, where I did dramatic readings of video game manuals. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, uh, yeah, that yeah. Was not, it wasn't just me. It was a bunch of people. But yeah, so that's that's kind of like a long-winded explanation of the podcast. That's good. I, uh, I agree with you. The reason I started, I mean, I wasn't really, what's the word, knowledgeable at finding podcasts. And mm-hmm. so I couldn't find a podcast that was geared toward what I like about video games. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll just do one. That way I can have the conversations I'm wanting to listen to since I can't find anyone that's having those conversations. And I agree there's endless information about news and what's going on and current events and the mm-hmm. uh, the nostalgia things it's like it's there I could I, I found you from basically searching on Instagram and you were one of the few I could find that were a podcast there's a lot of like collectors uh, people who just post like pictures there's a uh, lot of them, booklets yeah. strategy guides like I could find and that's cool to look at but as far as podcasts and maybe even like video content and like just I don't know humor around retro gaming it wasn't as much and so I did find you I found a few other ones I had a the reason I, I reached out to you is I had a, another podcast on called Retro Hangover a duo mm-hmm. and we had a blast and i'm like damn like that was really fun i need to reach out some more podcasts because one they know how to talk to they're also video game nerds three they're enthusiastic about it enough that they started their own podcast all which makes for great conversations so that brings oh, us yeah. to here me stalking you and reaching out to you <laughs> and now we're here um yeah it just i i don't know man i just video games have have been something ever like from an early age it just like just captured my imagination i think one of my earliest memories was i at my there was a 
kid who went to my church. His name was Mike, and I he used to babysit us. Even though he like now that I look back, I'm surprised that he did because uh, he's only like two. He was only like two years older than me. Unfortunately, <laughs> he passed away when he was very young. Like when I was in middle school, he was in like I think eighth grade, and I was in sixth. So like he was very young, and I'm surprised that my parents let him babysit us. Now that I you know think back on it, but I remember going over to his house at some church function or something like that because they had like a, a little party thing i don't know and we went down to his basement and they had a fully finished basement that was the first time i ever saw a finished basement now i want one but still haven't gotten one yet neither here nor there uh but he had uh an nes and he hooked up uh i think mario bros 3 i th- i think this is this is more recollect this is more speculation i'm just trying to think which one i saw first i know i saw super the original super mario bros super mario bros 3 and super mario world over at his house and duck hunt um mm. and i just what? remember seeing it I think it, the reason I think it had to be three is because I remember in my mind thinking, holy shit, minus the shit part, but holy shit. <laughs> Uh, this this is a cartoon that I'm controlling. How is this possible? Like, what witchcraft is going on here? That it's a good I way to control uh, of a cartoon, and that's where the that's my earliest memory of like getting hooked on video games. That's a good way to describe it. Control a cartoon. It's exactly what it felt like as a kid. Yeah, you, I'm guessing you were born like maybe based on NES and Mario Three was already out. You're pretty close to my. I'm gonna guess you were born in like '88. Uh, you're pretty close. Yeah, '89. I was. Um, I was definitely I missed a couple generations early on like I'm old enough to really my my first console probably should have been the Super Nintendo but mm. uh, my parents like we didn't really have games growing up until I turned 10 so 1999 right um, mm. and uh, that's when they got me an N64 for Christmas and that was my first console that I owned it wasn't the first game that I ever played my neighbors had a Sega Genesis my other neighbor had a PlayStation um, and I but I didn't have any video game consoles I remember asking for a Sega Genesis for Christmas and when I got the N64 I was actually pissed off I was like what well, this isn't a Sega Genesis <laughs> that's hilarious because you, yeah you were just that sounds yeah, really I, I, go ahead sorry, sorry. Go on. no 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 go on I was gonna say um, that's funny because obviously the 64 is a uh, quote better newer more more popular I guess system um, yeah your your 64 is probably like my maybe my PS1 Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was born in 85. I had a Nintendo and a Sega Genesis, and I bought the Sega Genesis with my own money. Well, my parents made me work, and I think I saved up like 60 bucks over a year, which was not even half. They copped the difference, and that was my first console console. Okay. But uh, the PS1 is like where my heart is. And I'm guessing for you, the 64 is going to be where your heart I is, right? It's, it's, so this is what's strange for me is that I don't know if I necessarily have a favorite console anymore. I would have said the N64, yeah. but I don't find myself playing those games all that often. Like a lot of the games that I really like on that console, I've burned, I've like burned myself out from. Like I love Ocarina of Time, but I played that game so much as a kid that now it's just like I like watching people play, especially like speedrunners and stuff. But like for me to sit down and play Ocarina of Time again, I'm like, I've beaten this game like five or six times. I don't really feel like playing it again. And so with the N64, a lot of the games on it, I don't find myself like I'm nostalgic for the N64, but I wouldn't say it's my favorite console. I actually did an episode. Um, I want to say, I don't remember how long ago it was, but I, I didn't have a topic for the week. So I decided to just bullshit for like an hour, just fi- try to figure out like to do a ranking system. Like, all right, what's my favorite console? So what I did was I would pick every console. I would look at every console for that generation. So, you know, like if you look 
look at like the NES era, I think that's what the third console generation or something like that. That was like NES Sega Master System and Master, maybe like the yep. Atari 5200 or something like that. I Correct. Yeah, that's what I remember. I, th- I think so. Yeah. And I would pick the NES, obviously. And then I would look at like the Super Nintendo Genesis. Um, I guess technically you have TurboGrafx-16 and a couple others thrown in there. Yep. And it was the Super Nintendo. And then I would look at like the PS1 N64 and it would be N64 for me because that was like what I grew up on. But I and I ended up like doing that for all the console generations. I would just compare and contrast. And then I ended up with the PS2 being my favorite. Mm. But with that said, I don't know. Like, it's not like it's a strong favorite. Like if you it's not something that I would I constantly have an urge for. It's just more or less like when I look at all the times that I had with it, when I look at all my nostalgia for each console, the PS2 has like the strongest. But I don't know if it's really my favorite. Like, I, it's weird. Like, I, I appreciate all consoles for different things. Like even the shitty ones, like the like the Virtual Boy, like I'm fascinated by that. I don't own one. My neighbors actually own one, and I would love to get one. But I like if you were telling me like the PS2 is better, it's like is the Virtual Boy better than the PS2? Obviously not. But at the same time, I'm like, well, you know, the the Virtual Boy is kind of interesting. Like they have some games for it. I I'd be willing to give it a shot. So it's it's I have a weird like relationship with the idea of a favorite console, and not knocking anyone who does. It's just I don't know if I have one. It's it's really weird. You're much a well, or you could just say you're a much more uh, even killed, appreciative, rational man than I. Because in my opinion, there's only one clear greatest console. That's the PS One, and anyone who thinks otherwise is not paying attention. <laughs> well, you do have some good arguments, though. I'm not going to lie. Uh, PS One was an era when game developers could really experiment and like do some weird shit. Like you know, games like you would never see a game like Power Rap of the Rapper now, or like Up no. Jammer Lammy, or um, so many. To- like I, so many, and I think it was a perfect combination of the CDs. The cost was pretty low distribution mm-hmm. was great it sold really well it was like the and it was gaming was growing and becoming more mainstream the games are much more expensive now and and the, the risk is so much higher for a triple a game yeah i agree it was a perfect combination there was a lot that's one of the reasons i would argue for it is is just like the the amount of good triple a games and the amount of good obscure games that ratio i can't think of a, a system that is, has a better ratio i um like the, sorry finish ahead. what you're saying i was gonna say the 64 like maybe that similar era probably first party games obviously nintendo's always been a strong first party company their their ips and brands are incredibly strong but you're not going to get the same sort of obscure like there's a game on the ps1 called the hive which was an experimental game that was a giant fmv like a mm-hmm. the entire game was like a pre-rendered video but they overlaid a second layer of pre-rendered elements that would move over the video and you would shoot them it was like an on-rail shooter okay but at the time cg like i don't know if you remember like ps1 days a big selling point of final fantasy 7 a lot of games were those cutscenes yeah and uh this entire game was like a giant cutscene where they just sort of laid a simple like a fairly rudimentary simple shooting system on top of the cutscene mm-hmm. and it was like a choose your own adventure like if you shot this if you didn't blow this thing up and you blew that thing up instead you go down a different path and it told okay. this like sci-fi story but the whole thing was like a full motion video sequence but not a not like actors all cgi like a really okay. weird game that i just you're never you're never going to see that on a 64 and i got into like that's the one thing that puts me over the top is i like how like deep the rabbit hole goes on the ps1 i would even say though that type of thing like the reason you wouldn't have seen on the 
64 is more due to the technical limitations of the 64. Like the 64 Definitely. couldn't do Memory. full motion yeah. video, and it couldn't do like Redbook audio, like the like the PlayStation could. Redbook audio sounds so fancy. Isn't that just just CD quality, right? Like I don't know why. Essentially, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like, a 44k 16 bit. I listened to another retro game podcast called Retronauts, and they would always refer to it as Redbook audio, which just makes you sound really fancy. But it's just CD quality audio. Um, but like the N64 couldn't do that, so like you wouldn't be able to get those kinds of games on the N64 due to its technical limitations. I would, True. I would wonder if the if the format of the N64 not being cartridges, if they switched it over to discs, because that was like the big fallout for it. Because so I swear, jump ship because they couldn't put Final Fantasy VII on a cartridge at Agreed. least easily, yes. or not yes. without multiple cartridges, and cartridges were more expensive to produce and like all this other junk. So I wonder like what it would have been if they decided to go disc based. Like, and I get why they kept with cartridges because they wanted to still be able to con- control the flow of the market but it unfortunately it ultimately ended up killing them in that generation it was uh have you listened to a podcast called business wars by chance i have not it's really good so uh it's a wonderly like one part of their network mm-hmm. and um they focus on business rivalries and it's done in like a really it's like npr radio lab is produced that has little segments and sounds it's more like a show than like a conversation mm-hmm. but they uh they chronicle um sony versus nintendo and uh, Nintendo versus, or in Sony versus Xbox. So they go from like okay. 1970 all the way to like 2018 in this like nine part series. And they go in depth mm-hmm. on the whole uh, Nintendo PlayStation fiasco and exactly what you're talking about. And I knew some of that and I knew quite a bit what you're talking about. What I didn't know until I listened to that pod, a new piece of information, at least to me, was that they wanted to control the market. But in the original con- in contract between Sony and Nintendo, Sony started out developing sound chips for the SNES. That's how the relationship started. Mm-hmm. That's, and they how were brought they, on- that's how they partnered. And then they created, yes. I, I mean, actually, sorry, I'll let you go. I think I know where you're going with this, though. Yeah. And you probably already know this. But for me, it was a brand new thing. And I credit the podcast for, for it. it was like something in the original contract meant that Sony would Nintendo wouldn't control manufacturing Sony would also be able to manufacture because of the CD mm-hmm. or something and then they pulled out and they did like a fake deal with Philips right after and then Sony announced it at E3 and then Nintendo like backed off on it immediately right after the announcement it was this big giant fiasco and then the guy that yep. was like the, the father of the PlayStation he, it was his dream for like 30 years to make this play the 3D graphics console happen it was going to fall out and he convinced Sony to not bail and he convinced Sony by going to the, uh, according to the podcast, I, I'm assuming it's well researched. Uh, I don't know how they'd get this information, but the way they portrayed it is that he went to the CEO mm-hmm. of Sony and framed it as, "If you don't go forward at the PlayStation and bury Nintendo, you have no honor because you you're letting them backstab you." And oh, so he, he that's appealed. How they convinced. I could. I mean, the it, you said it's the the Wondery, right? Or was that the network? No, uh, the network the, is uh, called Wondery. The podcast is Business Wars. Okay. Um, no, I would assume that's pretty well researched. But like, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's exactly what was said, but that's you're right. That's what happened. They um, they Nintendo backstabbed them, and then as a byproduct of partnering with Philips, they created the CDI, and then the CDI yes. got released. But Nintendo backed out of that too. Didn't want anything to do with it. But because of the agreements with Philips, there was three Nintendo games, like Nintendo character games, released for the CDI: Hotel yes. Mario and yes, two Legend of Zelda's. Yeah. I- I remember too. There could be more, but they were like the like the almost again full motion animation. I guess based yeah. games. <laughs> it's really bad. They were terrible, dude. You know your shit. Like that's I, why I, I wanted I, to get you on. I was like, <laughs> it's, I got I got the sense of like, hmm, this guy might be as much of a nerd as me. 
No, I just I love game history, dude. Like it's 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 weird because I understand like it's not not everyone's going to be as into it as I am, and I totally get why because it's like in like when you get into the nitty gritty, only people who really like it give a shit about it. So like the casual game fan, they might you know like the thing that you were saying about how Nintendo helped create the PlayStation that is going to be a mind blowing fact to like eighty percent of gamers out there, or maybe more. I don't know. The, I'm just bullshitting a percentage there, but um, it's going to be a mind blowing fact to a lot of people. And but even but. But that type of thing is interesting to me. Like, I also like, I like looking back and finding things that are way ahead of their time. So, like, if you look back on the original NES, just... I have two quick examples. On the original NES, you have Castlevania 2, Simon... Uh, hold on. Castlevania Simon's 2, Quest. Simon's Quest. Yeah. Um, and that game was an open-world game with a day and night cycle. I mean, very limited and not very well done arguably but the fact that like it the enemies would change depending on whether it was day or night and there was three different towns for you to backtrack through and explore and that you could just go in and out at like at will it was essentially an open world game with a day and night cycle in on a fucking nes yep from like 1986 or 87 or 80 i don't remember what year that game came out but like that type of shit like fascinates me and like the other example i always like to point out is that like consoles could go online way earlier than anyone ever thought like uh even the original nintendo not in america but in japan it could go online like they they tried to market it to parents so like kids could play games and parents could check stocks and email on their nintendo on the famicom i have never heard this tell me more tell me more it's wild dude i i don't remember exactly what it's called let me google it real quick um famicom dude i mean the internet had to have been i mean very the the infrastructure it was called the family computer network system and it was a modem that you would attach onto the top of the famicom um yeah it's it's fucking crazy dude now in the u.s i would say the earliest version of something like this there was something for the atari 2600 i don't remember what it was called but it would essentially let you download games via your phone line to your atari 2600 bro you're right i see videos of the modem you attach to the japanese famicom yeah it's it looks like a man dude it looks like it looks like a vehicle from blade runner it looks dope I'm yeah, trying to look that- up the Atari 2600 one now. GameLine, that's what it was called. It was a dial-up game distribution service uh, for the Atari 2600. Um, I'm reading this off of Wikipedia, by the way. In 1983, cable pioneer William Von Meister was looking for... I don't feel like reading all that. But it looks like in the early 80s, it was something like that. Um, wow. And the essentially let me just make sure subscribers can install proprietary modem and storage cartridge in their home game console access a game line service to download games over a telephone line so there you go damn that was in like the early 80s and like that type of shit just blows my mind and the most i would say the first one in the u.s that became super common was the sega channel in the early 90s which yes, was, I, w- I was aware of that as a kid. I never had it, but I knew it, I knew it was I knew it existed. And but yeah, so that's like the that's probably the first one in the, like the Sega Channel is probably the first one in the U.S. that like really had any kind of traction. Um, everywhere else, I mean, it never came to the U.S. The in the Super Nintendo they had the Satellaview or something like that, which was only in Japan. It was similar to, similar to 
the Sega Channel, but once again, only in the U- only in Japan, not the U.S. Um, and that that they actually released like a unre- like a Legend of Zelda game for it that never that never came over to the U.S. I, I did not know that. Called. I thought the yeah. 3DO Legend of Zelda games were like the most obscure ones, but I definitely never heard of this SNES online. Did Japan have better infrastructure for internet before America? I would not like be surprised, must... but I'm not an expert on it. Yeah, it seems like... I mean, I, I, while you were talking, the thought that came to me that was ironic, that the NES had an online product in Japan, which, I, which I've seen, but now, like, they were so ahead of their time. But now, Nintendo's known for being behind the times when it comes to online functionality. Wait, sorry, who was this? You cut out there for a second. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. It just like it just like it just cut out for a split second. So can you repeat what you just said? I was saying that it's a little ironic that Nintendo was so far ahead of the game having an online product for the NES. But now in the current day, they're known as being behind the times when it comes to online. Yeah. It's it's a it's a weird thing to see what happened. But the the Nintendo in general, Retronauts talks about this a lot, so I'm not going to like Steal, I don't want to like steal the point without crediting them, but like Nintendo was a toy company, well, technically a card manufacturing company. Yes, first. that's what Business Wars taught me. You already know all this shit, man. You know I, what's up. I I just have way too much free time, and my I'm surprised <laughs> I even got married somehow. Uh, um, no, um, they were man- card manufacturing company first, making Hanafuda cards. They were the first company in Japan to be licensed to make Western style playing cards. You know the cards that we know. Um, and then they switched over into toys with a, like, I think one of the first ones was the, the Ultra Hand, which was done by Gunpei Yokoi, who later on went to make the Game Boy and, like, the, the Game and Watches and, like, all this other stuff. And unfortunately, also the, the Virtual Boy, he's also responsible for. Um, but, uh, they created the Ultra Hand, but like they they've been a toy they were a toy company before they were a game company. And they've never really like there's an argument to be made that they've never really lost that toy mentality. Cause look at like even now you have amiibos. They're and look at like the the what is it? The cardboard thing. I'm, the Labo. I'm looking at it right the now. Labo, yeah. The Labo, yeah. Nintendo Labo. And then uh I'm trying I think there's something new they just kind of oh like they just partnered with Lego now and there's like this weird digital Mario hybrid stuff for Lego stuff that's coming out which looks really fucking cool. Um so they've never really lost that toy mentality and if you look back through their history a lot of the weird stuff they do it has a, like a really toy like idea behind it. I mean if you go back to like even the Game Boy Advance it had the e-card reader which I kind of want to get my hands on. Um have you ever heard of the e-card reader on the game boy ds uh game boy or you advance. say advance no i uh i my my handheld knowledge passed the game gear drop to nothing okay so okay so just sega's game gear i had a game boy and a game gear and then once i got into console gaming and pc gaming i've never had a i have a switch but uh i missed kind of like a everything on handhold yeah uh, well, the the e card reader, what it was, was an attachment you could get for the Game Boy Advance, and essentially, you would get these collectible trading cards, and you would swipe them through the e card reader, and it would unlock different things within games. Oh, so it's like you're you're merging a card game and the digital games. Kind of, yeah, kind, I yeah, mean, okay. it's a, it's 
admittedly, it's a little shitty practice because I don't think you can store data on the cards. You know, I don't think there's like actually like storage on these paper cards. So in my, to my knowledge, and if someone's listening to this, they feel free to correct me because I, I, I don't know and I'm not an expert on it, but I would assume that would have to mean that the, the gameplay and the parts of the game that it unlocks were already on the game. So already, you, they would have to be, yeah. They would have to be, right? So you just scan the key, the e-card to unlock it, which is kind of a shitty business practice because that means someone paid, you know, 40 bucks for that game and they're not getting the full game until they buy an e-card reader to unlock the rest of the game. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't, well, I mean, I could be wrong. I could be, they maybe somehow they witchcraft, uh, witchcrafted, uh, storage into paper cards, but I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. My, there's especially the, the store. Yeah. There's no way, but the counter argument, if I were to play devil's advocate, which I on, honestly, I agree with you, but I like to, as a thought exercise, sometimes try to argue the other end. No, man, go would for be, it. Like the same amount of development would happened, but, because of this technological limitation, they can't put the actual content on these cards. In order to make the idea work, they have to put it in the original game. And the only difference is, is if the technology was there that they could, they could actually store enough data on the cards to then actually install and, and add on top of the base game, it's the same stuff. They're just, you're just changing the delivery method based on, like, nothing's really different. You know what I'm trying to say? It's just because, this, the same amount of development work, instead of putting it all in one place, now we're going to split it up into a bunch of different places and make them pay for it. Or but we then just put the, it all in one place. The thing is, though, is that they already... The, the, I would argue the consumer already did pay for it because it's on the cartridge that they're holding in their hand. Technically. But, so, your your issue is, if it wasn't on the cartridge, then it would be... You wouldn't... Um, it wouldn't bother you. No, because then it's like DLC. It's, yeah, it's it'd like be DLC. like if you downloaded a game on Steam or on your console, and then you had to pay an extra five dollars to unlock a file that you already have downloaded. You know what I mean? What if they were open about it and they said, "Look, due to technical limitations, in order to make DLC work, it's going to be in the original file, but you can't get it until you unlock it through a paid add-on." I then I would it's a then I would probably still have the same issue because then it's like you it's the um that's where the shit like microtransactions gets a bad name because yeah you you're get, you're you already bought the game and you're paying to unlock more of the data that you already have downloaded versus but you're fine you're fine paying the same amount of money as long as the ex like so let's say the game is forty bucks right mm-hmm. would it bother you if they charged I'm trying to think of the right way to... I'm thinking in real time. What if they... So you pay $40, then you pay 5 bucks extra for the DLC, but the uh, DLC is already on there. You're like, okay, well, I could have just... Would you rather just pay $45 up front? Or... Like, so you're saying, like, the, the value of the of the game plus the DLC is 45 but they're only charging 40 then that's just a yes. bad business. I mean, if they want yes, to do bad that, business. That's, what that's I was fine. trying to say is you don't have any issue with paying the money for the content. You just don't like it when the content is all bundled up in the same file from the beginning. I don't like it when the content is being that the content is should is already there for you to have, but they're just 
putting a paywall up in front like of a it paywall after you've already it. yeah it's like you you pay already once to get down one paywall and then you find another one hidden inside it'd be different if it was like like i have no issue with dlc mind you it's like because generally a perfect example i think a game series has done well has a mixed history with dlc but when the first one came out the original borderlands they would have you had like a 30 40 hour campaign and then a couple months later the developers added little you know mini campaigns you know five yes. ten hour campaigns and you would spend like 15 bucks and you get a five ten hour cam- campaign um to me that's that's worth it because that wasn't part of the original game and it was an add-on later on versus if you developed all of it and then you're arbitrarily locking it off because you want to make more money i don't i don't really i then i have an issue with that it would make more sense to me just to like you were saying just put it all at once don't don't make me go through the hassle of buying something that i technically already own again i agree with you i'm just kind of like i'm I'm really challenging my own opinion which is the same as yours uh, and kind of using you as a sounding board The, the the example is like i love the witcher 3's final dlc Blood and Wine, I thought it was better than the original campaign. Mm-hmm. I was totally happy paying $30. I thought I would have paid $60. I, th- I thought the DLC was that good. Yeah. But, like, the fact that I, I, I'm willing to pay $30 for that extra, for that content. If that content was originally, like, in the original game, I didn't know it, and then I had to pay $30 to unlock it, it wouldn't... Like, I'm already happy to pay $30 for that extra content. And mm-hmm. so my argument would be, like, whether that extra content was in the original game package downloaded or not the point is i feel like it's worth paying 30 dollars for that content and their delivery method whether it was hidden behind a paywall on the original download or downloaded later seems sort of arbitrary because i'm happy to pay for that content the way they deliver that content doesn't change the fact that i'm happy to pay that 30 dollar price tag I if i was it, that's the argument me, i was trying it, sorry what that that's again i agree with you but if i was trying to argue against us that would be my argument. And I guess my, my last argument for that is like, it's just breaking. I mean, even if they're upfront about it, they're taking advantage of their consumer at that point. Cause they, because then it, I shouldn't even say taking advantage, but it's just kind of like, it's a dick move. It's like, um, it's like you, you spend $5 for a, for a sandwich at a store and they give you two thirds of it and make you spend another $2 to get the last third that you did that that you didn't get. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it is kind of weird. Cause I like the sandwich example, because if they gave you two thirds of it for $3 and then said, it's two more dollars to get this last third. You're like, okay, I'm still hungry. I'll buy it. I'll get that last third. It doesn't feel weird because it, yeah, there is something kind of like if you're going to give it, if I mean, I get, I'm trying to think, like the cost of development, right? So you got, you already developed this. It was already available when the game first launched. But maybe mm-hmm. they thought, well, we actually went over our budget to develop this. In order to make that budget back, we have to chunk some of this off behind a paywall for DLC because we well, went over our, our initial budget. To make- be fair with the with the e reader, which kind of led us down this rabbit hole, they um <laughs> yeah. like the stuff that the stuff that they added onto it. It wasn't like. Here's six new levels. It was like maybe a level and an extra power up. Like it was very small. It was pretty light. Yeah. It was very minor amount of stuff. It was never like here's an extra five hours of gameplay that we did not that we had on here but didn't but you had to pay to get. 
It's it was yeah. more just like here's an extra level or two that might last you like thirty minutes. Still, like I still think it's kind of a shady business practice, but at the same time, like it wasn't. I'm more fascinated by by the idea of it now. Like I kind of want to get an e card reader just because I think it's really interesting, more as like a like a collector's piece and a historical type of thing. Yes, but, yeah. Uh, I uh, but, by the way, I anyway. agree with you. I, I was just thinking like. If I was a if I was a developer and I had to defend this practice, like what could I? Oh, maybe no, what no, could be no going worries. through their I am, mind? I am the same way. Uh, I have a tendency to play devil's advocate with a lot of people, and it gets on their nerves a little bit. Well, and I'm it's not you, even like I'm doing it to be a dick. It's just more or less like I don't know. I've, it's the I, only way to uh, explore an idea properly. You have to yeah. give. It's the only way to really come. Like, and you, I think my personal opinion is if you're not challenging your own opinions and how do you know if they're strong opinions if they're based on um i mean how many times have you, i've man i've been how many times have i been called out when i thought something was rock solid then i shared that expression with someone and they came back to me with something really simple and just destroyed all my logic and i'm like oh like there's i got a big hole in my opinion um i don't like that i would i would have rather have gone through all those personally before I share my opinion with someone and know a, that I, I'm the same way. It's a defense mechanism. You don't like to yes. like, no one likes to be wrong, but like, yes. I, yes, I don't know about you. Like when someone calls me out on something, I never get mad at them for calling me out unless they're being a dick, but I, I usually never get mad at them for calling me out on something, but I am very embarrassed and I yes. hate that feeling so much. Exactly. I'm usually grateful they, that they called me out, but I hate that I didn't catch it myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. it's, it could be even like, I don't know if you're, if this is you, but at least for me, it's a bit of a control freak tendency. Like I have to be in control of what I say and do to, for the most part. Um, so like if someone calls me out, that's something that like, I'm like, damn it, I probably could have saw that coming and I probably yes. could have controlled that narrative a little bit more, which yes. is all, it's all just control freak tendencies and not wanting, and like, it's a, it's a defense mechanism and it's just, yeah, that's, I don't know. That's part of who I am, I guess. Yeah. I think yeah we have some similar overlap. I, uh, I've been drinking a little bit. Can I take like a 30 second pee break and come right back? Oh, no, go for it. Okay, one sec. All right. Thank you for your patience. No problem. Um, I wanted to ask you okay, so um, we went down the weeds a little bit with some history. I know you're into all that stuff. You you played a little bit of NES and Sega Genesis and Super at your neighbor's house, but you didn't have an actual console until the 64. What do you remember the most from your neighbors on the, on, I want to kind of go over what you remember the most before you got your first console. Okay. So, uh, if you don't mind, I'll actually go back a little bit further than remember some of my earliest PC gaming memories. Ooh, I was going to ask about that because I have some, uh, early DOS game memories as well. Um, and actually I should probably clarify, it's not PC, it's actually Macintosh. Okay. Um, my parents got a Macintosh when we were, when I was really little. I don't remember what year it was. It might've been 93 or 94. Um, and we had a couple games for it. We had, uh, we actually had some Star Wars games like Star Wars Rebel Assault. Uh, I think we had Rebel Assault 1 and 2. We had Star Wars X-Wing. Uh, we had, I forget all the different ones. I think Dark um, Forces was on Mac as well. I remember playing it, it on It was. Mac. We only had a demo of it, but we had Dark Forces. Sweet. Um, That's one of my favorite Star Wars games. That, I remember th- I played that game a lot, and that game, like, that was one of, that was a game that definitely, I don't know if it was the first game, but it was one of the earliest games to really capture my imagination because it was, like, I knew Star Wars. I watched Star Wars when I was a kid, and, um, 
um, the whole world that that game built, it was very atmospheric to however old I was, you know, five, six year old. Um, and just, I remember finding secrets and like exploring different things. And I remember discovering, like, I didn't quite understand how to progress through the game at when I was that little. So that game had a very mysterious, like world air to it. And granted, a lot of that's just because I was like four or five years old. I actually haven't yeah. played that game since now that I think about it. This I'm one, I'm going to, I've been on this kick since quarantine. Um, normally I, at night I train in mm-hmm. the gym, uh, the martial arts jiu-jitsu gyms are all closed. So I've like had nothing to do. So I've been mm-hmm. going through and playing old games I couldn't beat as a kid. Okay. Dark Force, Dark Forces is one of them. I just beat, anyway, I agree with you. I could never beat it as a kid. I almost had the exact same experience. It was just like, this is a really cool world. I don't understand what's going on, but it felt like fleshed out and mysterious. And it was at my cousin's house. So I could only play it for a little bit. Then I would, wouldn't see my cousin again for like a week. And I'd come back and try to get a little bit farther than I did last time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a game that I want to go back and try to replay. Like you, I haven't replayed it again. And I'm curious if it holds up. I, I, I'm gonna, I was just looking through my Steam library to see if I have it. Apparently I don't, but I might look in to see if Steam has it. Uh, but no, so I remember playing that. And then the game that really, like, really, really, really stuck with me, there was a game called Power Pete, and it was it re- later renamed to a call, it was, ugh, excuse me, it was later renamed to being called Mighty Mike, and it was a top-down shooter, like, shooter game, and it was exploratory, like, essentially the premise was you played as this action figure named Power Pete, and the toy store has this brand new toy uh, that are these bunnies, and the, all the other toys are revolting against them because they're popular or something like that, so Power Pete has to go and save all the bunnies, so each level has five bunnies in it and then you have to rescue all five bunnies and then you they're just little (laughs) stuffed rabbits and then you move on to the next one and there's about five levels per world and five worlds so like 25 levels right and you get all tons it's a it's a it's pretty much like a shoot 'em up but it's not like a, a shmup in the sense where it's like a bullet hell type of game but it's Think of like Contra, but top down. Like there's lots of enemies, lots of projectiles going at you, lots of things you have to worry about. Uh, minus like, the one hit kill, you have you have health. You have health, okay. Uh, but you it get tons like a, and tons it, of different weapons. You get like, and all the weapons are based off of toy store stuff. So like the first thing you get is like a suction cup gun. Uh, then you get like a double suction cup gun, so it shoots two at the same time. You can get up to three. You throw cakes, which do like AOE damage. You have like you can throw rocks. You can throw. Um, you can shoot. This sounds dope. Oh, dude, it's 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 great. Um, and it's one of probably one of the my first games that I truly fell in love with. It might be one of the first games I remember beating. I don't know if it's the first mm. one, but it was so good. And actually, when I first started the podcast, I the developer of the game is Pangea Software. They're still in existence. They still they they're still around. Um, I mean, hopefully the quarantine hasn't hit them or anything, but. Uh, they make mobile games now and I actually emailed the guy to see like, Hey, could I get any info? And he didn't really provide much of anything, but he responded, which was more than I was expecting. So, uh, yeah. So that's probably like the earliest game I can think of. Like the you earliest game uh, I can think of. You definitely get like <laughs> plus 10 blessings from the gaming gods out of 26 episodes. Um, I would say 90% of people, cause they're usually around my similar age. Mario Brothers is their first memory, first game. Mm-hmm. Um, you, uh, you definitely the first person to bring up a their first gaming memory as a game I wasn't even aware of. 
I looked it up on it's Google. A, yeah, it, it looks dope as shit, and I missed the boat on this one for sure. I don't even know where you'd be able to find it now. I tr- I think you, if you get like if you look up like maybe one of those um, there's some those, emulators like, for old Mac. or something like that. Yeah. Um, obviously, someone's figured it out because there's some YouTube videos of it, and someone's captured some gameplay oh, recently. So, so there must be some way. I mean, I'm big into. I know people have mixed feelings, especially in like the collection world about emulators. But uh, I'm all in on emulators. I just find them. Oh, yeah. to be, you don't physically want to like have a warehouse full of games, but you want to play old games. I just don't see. And you don't want to spend like fucking four hundred dollars for yes. some game that you're just have a passing fancy in yeah yeah no. spoiler alert all the retro shit i post online my tiktok's been doing really well i like i don't like to show like where the emulator screen loads up because i know people get weird about it but it's all on emulator and it's i yeah like you can i'm just googling right now there's a there's a mac os like an old mac emulator and i could probably try to run this game i might i might i might steal i might steal your gaming memory and do a uh, a clip on it i'll give you credit though Dude, by all I'll means, you. if you can get it to work, I would love to see it again. Because I mean, I just googled it, and you can download PowerPeat from myabandonware.com. I don't know oh. how legit that is. I don't know how safe it is, but it's there. <laughs> um, Might not be that safe. I mean, they give you a. Uh, I just clicked on the website, and they give you like a disclaimer about all the different. You know, like you can set how they use your information. So I would assume the website's fairly legit if they're giving you options on what to do with your data or what they do with your data. Yeah. But that's yeah. A, that's that's a great first memory. So you also mentioned some Genesis and Super Nintendo yes. at the uh neighbor's house. What do you remember from that? So uh the the church friend who he was not a neighbor, but I remember playing Mario over at his house, Mario and Duck Hunt, and the fact that you know you could shoot the gun at the screen blew my mind once again that it was there where I was like, Holy shit, I can control a cartoon. Um yes. that might have been before Power Pete, but actually I doubt it. I don't even I don't I don't really know. Um it all kind of blurs together. But my neighbors, they had the one neighbor had a Genesis and the other neighbor had a PS1. Uh games I remember since I know you're a PS1 fan, I'll start off with that. Uh Woo-hoo. they play we had Star Wars Demolition, which was that like vehicle uh Yes. yes. Yeah, like a vehicle de- destruction type of it's game. It's like Twisted Metal, but Star Wars skins. Yes, exactly. And then I, he also had Star Wars Jedi Power Battles, and then, of course, the Crash Bandicoot games. Mm. So those were the ones that I remember from him. He That same neighbor also had a Virtual Boy, and I'm always tempted. Like, I'm friends with uh, his parents on Facebook, and I'm always <laughs> tempted to message them and be like, hey, I by know the where way, you're do going. you have that? <laughs> and I'm fairly certain they had to have sold it. I, you know what? It wouldn't hurt if they if they don't give a shit about it. Maybe I'll yeah. ask if they how be much are, to sell it. How much are those worth right now? They must be extremely rare. They're worth a decent amount. I think in between like one fifty to two hundred, but I think two hundred ish. But you know what? I'll look it up while we're talking. But um, the Virtual so, Boy is yeah. As you're looking it up, I had I didn't know anyone that owned it, but I would specifically ride my bike to Toys R Us, which was about like. I had some freedom once I was in my, uh, like, 12, 13, I could ride my bike. I would just, like, if I was bored, ride my bike to Toys R Us and play the Virtual Boy on display. Okay. Probably strained your eyes a good amount, too, <laughs> with that red <laughs> discre- with that red display. 
It was uh, just because like I couldn't. I knew I wasn't gonna be able to get one. They were expensive. My and uh, anyway, I would just go there, and they would had Mario Tennis, and then they had this like boxing game. You might remember better. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't remember much of what we played on it. I just remember they had it. And yeah. it's funny because I thought it was really cool, like playing over there. And years later, did I realize like it was supposed to be the successor to the Game Boy? And I'm like, you know, now that I look back at it, I'm like, how the fuck was that supposed to be portable? Like you, like you had a tripod for a reason. You couldn't just pick it up and take it with you. It was like they were trying to do another like a sequel to the Game Boy, but it wasn't portable. So I don't, I don't understand their their thought process with that at all. Um, all. The current value of a loose one, though, is a uh, hundred and thirty-ish dollars. They say one twenty-six seventy-six. For if you get it complete in box, you're looking at about four hundred. Surprisingly, brand new is only worth five hundred at the moment. So that's honestly surprising. It's only a hundred dollars more for when you get complete in box versus new. But um, the the price on it all fluctuates. So like it's one twenty-six now, but it could be like if you go back to October. Uh, like uh, let me see, like two and a half years ago, it was like two hundred and forty dollars for a loose one. Hmm. Yeah, it's so a it's pretty rare. They must have only manufactured. My memory of it is a little hazy, but I remember it coming and going fairly, fairly. Uh, quick. It was it was a flop. I think the whole thing, la- like the life cycle of that, lasted less than a year. I want to say. Okay. I, that, yeah. 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 I agree. I'll that's, have to double check on that, but I'm pretty sure it lasted less than a year. Um, okay. So he had a Virtual Boy, and then he also had a PlayStation. The other neighbor had a Sega Genesis. And tell me. Tell me. Let me see here. I'm just looking. I was hoping to see. Yeah. just I just looked up the v- Virtual Boy stuff. Its release in Japan was July 21st, 95, and it was discontinued in December, on December 22nd that same year. In North America, oh, it was wow. August fourteenth, ninety five, and it was discontinued on March second, ninety six. Still, once again, less than a year, less than twelve months. Yeah, it it came and went very, very Pretty quick. Fast. I've been I've been touting that the the Dreamcast was like the quickest life cycle of a console, but technically, I think the Virtual Boy would beat it. I mean, there's I probably re- some obscure console we've never heard of that somehow got a major release. Yes, I, mean, I had so a, many. There's so many pre- weird ones like. Um, the actually sorry finish what you're saying i was just thinking about one that wasn't released that which is kind of interesting but go what were you going to say yeah let's do i was kind of along the same lines like i had a guy on named brett weiss who's like a oh, video okay game. yeah he um i saw i was looking through your library i've only listened to a handful of your episodes but um i saw that you had patrick hickey jr on yes we have a similar he was on you recently right he is he i have the episode recorded it will be out i don't know what time you're when you're releasing this but this it'll be out on may 3rd so like a little over a week from today from the day we're recording this i'll definitely re- put it out in like the next couple of days he's a g i uh he reached out to me proactively which is weird because i was a brand i mean i've only been doing a, i haven't even been doing a podcast for a year so you were way ahead of me he reached out to me i was like well that's kind of weird i was almost creeped out like dude no one knows who i am like what do you mean like why are you yeah who's yeah. this who's this guy and then it got on and we had a blast man he's so like, nice dude he's such a he's good a guy. badass yeah he sent me a book um i just po- i just sh- shout out a second book i like i went and bought his book like i had such a good time with him i went and bought his book like right after the podcast and then he sent me another uh, second book to review and I, I read a few chapters and posted about it last night he's a g i'm like 
he uh, I don't understand how he doesn't have a little bit more of a following because I've been trying to like uh, get a hold of devs for interviews as guests on podcasts. It's hard. It's really oh, I hard. Believe it. And uh, he's he's scored all these interviews with these like hundreds of games. I don't know how he does it. Um, back to what you're saying though. The reason I even thought of Patrick Hickey is because Brett Weiss, I believe, edited yes. his book, right? So he, they they're connected somehow. Patrick connected me with Brett. Oh yeah, that was the original point. So Patrick yeah. connected me with Brett, and Brett knows a lot about consoles pre NES, which I'm very okay. not. I'm not. And you're right. Among that whole, he was talking about between like 1970 and 85 is when the NES came out in Japan. There was something like 72 was the first console he brought up, but from like 79, like from between 80 and 85, essentially, he brought up like 15 plus consoles that came out. It was a heyday. The 70s were like a wild time for video games. Like there was so little. Like so little um, gatekeeping to get into the industry for better or worse. Like you had some phenomenal games being made, but then you also had some awful ones, like the Atari porn games and stuff like that. Yeah, and he brought up the. I think he said it was eighty three. The the great video game crash of eighty three. It might have been eighty two, eighty two or eighty three. Right. Yes, and essentially the same thing because there was no gatekeepers. Uh, the market was flooded with terrible games, and then people just. Gaming, honk, console gaming got associated with just, like, trash, spam, essentially, mm-hmm. and it, it, the bottom fell out. And uh, back to the original point, yeah, there probably is a console in that period of insanity that came and went really quick, maybe even quicker than the Virtual Boy or the Dreamcast. But uh, I've always touted that the Dreamcast, uh, because it was so successful at launch, I think, I think, I could be wrong, before the Wii... The Dreamcast was the fastest selling in the initial three months or ninety days, the fastest selling console of all time. Okay. And then within within two years it was dead. Something like it was crazy, yeah, whatever it was. It it sold like you you're right, it sold super well. I don't know if it had that that mantle beforehand, but I wouldn't be surprised in all honesty, because it, it sold so insanely well. And then of course the PS two hit, so it just kind of died shortly thereafter. It died, but you yeah, know, the PS two the Dreamcast insane. was the first one to really put online gameplay as like a major part of the console. Like you had uh <laughs> Fucking, what is it? Um, Fantasy Star Online for that thing. Yes, yes. I got a story about that. I don't, I don't know. I've mentioned this before, but I think it's worth mentioning again. Um, this, you asked if you could swear on my podcast. This will answer how open you can be on my podcast, should you choose to be. <laughs> I bought a Dreamcast simply to look at pictures of naked girls at like 14 or 15 because uh, I grew up in a very, very religious, like um, cult, borderline cult like. Uh, uh, family and mm-hmm. so <laughs> there was no internet there was no computers there was like very very strict but i could play video games and my parents had no idea that the dreamcast could connect to the internet <laughs> uh so that was my that was my workaround so the dreamcast holds a special place in my heart as like a teenage rebellion sort of backdoor <laughs> special place in some other place too i guess <laughs> <laughs> definitely definitely too i joke about it now yeah it's because back in the day, it was like the Dreamcast, the modem, and the, the home, the home phone line, and it would take it would dude, it would take you twenty five minutes to get a picture to load up. But that's all we had. <laughs> that's all we had. Oh my god, that's <laughs> funny. Oh my goodness, I um, 
I don't have an experience like that, but that's that's amazing. It's because you're I also you're a better a man than religious. I. It wasn't cult like, but it was. I grew up in a religious household, and I still am, for the most part. I'm just as you can tell, not like I don't I don't I don't really like to shove it down people's faces, but um. So so, uh, what we were talking about was the other stuff that like the psychogenesis games that my neighbors had. Oh yeah. Uh, hey, before we get into that, I'm so sorry. No, you're I good. Have- I have to pee. I drink three white claws, and I've never had this problem. I have to pee again. No, go for it. It's okay, dude. I promise you, I'll edit all this out. It'll sound. It'll sound smooth without. It's all fine, this. dude. It's your podcast. I. I, I I'm not worried. Uno momento. I actually had this happen once before. I remember. I needed. I told myself, if you're gonna, if you're gonna sip a little, you got to sip on some hard alcohol, so you don't have to go <laughs> pee during the podcast. Um, but yeah, let's do the Sega Genesis because that was uh, my first. My first console that I sort of I paid for partially and worked mm-hmm. really hard for. Um, I had an interesting experience where my parents told me they would get it for me if I saved up a certain amount of money. I made a shoebox, I decorated it, I drew Sega Genesis on it, I did whatever chores and put the money in the box. Mm-hmm. But they bought me. I didn't save up enough money by Christmas, but they bought me Sonic Two for Christmas. But I hadn't saved up enough money for the Genesis. So for the following however long it was, four to six months. I would just look at the game. I just had this game sitting there taunting me. Bitch, you got to earn some money or you can't play me. <laughs> <laughs> and I would read the like the instruction booklet over and over again. And then I finally got the Genesis. And anyway, so it's a, I'm excited to hear what you have to say about the Genesis because um, I have some really good memories with the Genesis. So my, my neighbors, they had the games that stuck out to me was they have, they of course had Sonic one and two. I always Definitely. liked Sonic 2 more because I loved the chemical plant zone, even though it had, like, the scariest fucking, you know, the water that make you drown. Like, that yes. scared the shit out of me. But loved the music in that in that area, like everyone. But, so, he had those. But he also had uh, Tiny Toon Adventures Buster's Hidden Treasure. <gasps> and I love that game to pieces. It is one of my... You're the first my... one to bring it up! What? You're the first one to bring that game up. I love that game. Dude, it, it's a Mario 3 clone, but it's such a good Mario 3 clone. Yes. Like, I I really, really like that game a lot. It it has some flaws now that I've pl- been playing it as an adult. Like, it has, like, you know, Buster takes a little bit too long. It's like, it's weird. It's like Sonic meets Mario, in a sense, because Buster takes a long time to get his speed up, and then once he's going, he just flies. But then it's got technical, super technical platforming like Mario does. Um, so it's a really interesting mix of the two. Yes. And I really, really love that game. It just, the, I don't know. It was just something about it that I can, there's a specific level. Um, and I don't remember how far it's in the first world. Cause like the first world is like a forest. The second yes. world for lack of a better term is like caves. I've never been able to make it past the caves, but the game is tough as shit. Yeah. I, uh, I only remember the forest to be honest. I didn't make it that far. There's a there's a cave there's a bunch of cave levels after the forest but in the forest there's a there's one level where it's all these elevators where you're just like getting sucked up and going down and around and for some reason as a kid that just captured my imagination I thought it was like the coolest level just the idea of these tree elevators that you could go in and like ride up to the top or do th- this and that and I remember as a kid I wanted to f- somehow make a tree elevator Like, you know, you hollow out the inside of a tree and you just ride up it. Of course, it never happened. But, like, as a kid, it just, oh, my God, it was so cool to me. So that game is probably one of the most influential to me. And not even for anything other than, like, 
it's it was my first the first game I can remember that was my favorite game. Yeah. I think it was I, the first game that I can remember that I I definitively put a stamp on it in my head. I'm like, this is my favorite game ever. And of course, you know, your opinion changes over time, but I still love that game. It was definitely um, one of the one of your first loves. Yes. And I liked Power Pete a whole lot too, but I never in my head I never put that stamp as like this is my favorite game. I definitely really, really liked it. And years later I came to appreciate it more, but like Tiny Toon Adventures, Buster's, Buster's Hidden Treasure was the first one that really solidified it for me. Um, and did then, you watch the cartoon as well? I did. I did watch yes. Tiny Toon Adventures. I loved it. I didn't yeah. watch it a lot because it. I I I had no concept of when shows were on, with the exception of like stuff on Nickelodeon. Like I always remembered when Rugrats was on, but that was pretty much it. Uh, but I did watch the cartoon. I did not watch Animaniacs, believe it or not, though. You know what? I me too. It was very popular. A lot of kids watched Animaniacs, but I I never watched. I mean, I remember the intro. I definitely saw an episode or two, but it did not catch me. Where Tiny Toons, I definitely watched. I mean, the same thing. I don't remember. It's just sort of all of those cartoons kind of blend together. You you got exposed to all of them. Um, but I just remember the reason I liked the game so much is I was a fan of the cartoon and then having the game. And I remember at least personally. One of the earliest games having like a really strong parallax scrolling effect mm-hmm. for the backgrounds, like the the forest had like two or three levels layers of trees, and when you mm-hmm. ran across the screen, they moved at different rates, and it gave it that like depth and thinking that was uh, like oh yeah, because I would argue I had a Genesis right, that's what I saved up, and the Super Nintendo objectively now in hindsight probably a better system, but at the time there was definitely schoolyard I- arguments. I mean, about, if you're uh, looking at it on a technical level, like technical aspects, yes, the the Super Nintendo technically had a better processor, a better sound card. Yes. But like, as to what is like a better system, that's just subjective at that point. If you're looking at technical Definitely. aspects, yet, yes, I mean, you can even argue if you, I don't know it off the top of my head, but if you look at which game, like if you look at the entire library of both and determine this console had more, you know, sellers that games that sold above this amount. Like if you're being like completely fair and objective with numbers, but I don't know that. But even My even guess with would, all that, like, what is your favorite console? Like, it's all subjective. It's definitely. It, I agree. I think Sega if you went also by... had a thing where it was like, what What are you looking to get out of your games? The Super Nintendo had a lot more like at home experience type of stuff, and Sega went yes. for more of an arcade feel. Yes. Now, so I've heard some people. Some people have been commenting on some of my posts that the Genesis was designed from the beginning to be an arcade port machine have you heard that uh, i've heard i wouldn't i mean yes because the genesis's architecture is based off of uh one of sega's arcade architectures i forget which one specifically but it was one of their one of their arcade architectures and now i believe when sonic the hedgehog came out that's when sega i mean don't quote me on this i don't know if this is true or not but just based off my perception of it and uh you know listening to other podcasts like retronauts like i've mentioned before and other things like i would it seemed like once sonic the hedgehog came out they're like okay let's really dive into like let's keep our arcade stuff arcade still port them over but let's really put a big focus on the home console experience and that's when you get games like sonic the hedgehog and then if you look at like the latter half of the genesis you get other great games like rocket knight adventures you get yes 
um, you know, Toe Jam and Earl. You Woo-hoo! get I, well, Earthworm Jim was also on Super Nintendo, but like you get the idea. Like they they yes. focused they they gave an increased focus to the home console experience instead of just porting the arcade the arcade games and trying to see if they could make it work in an in a home console experience. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. My my gut tells me if you were to stack up sales of most popular games and total sales, the Super Nintendo would would win. That's just going off my anecdotal experience growing up. It seemed it seemed like the Super Nintendo was more popular. It um so what's funny is the Genesis was the Super Nintendo outsold the Genesis in the end, but it wasn't until like 1994 when everything switched over. Once again, this information, this like I got this info from Retronauts. Want to make sure I credit them. Uh, they don't know who I am, but still, I don't want to be that douchebag who's just like <laughs> passing off someone else's like research as their own. But uh, they um they uh they were saying how like in '94 on the Super Nintendo that was the year Super Metroid and Donkey Kong Country came out. Yes. So you had these two gigantic games, and plus, you know, Donkey Kong Country. Even though it was just two B two two D sprites, the fact they were three D rendered, like fully polygonal three D renders that they just turned into sprites. Yes, it was it was a really smart workaround to make the game look a lot more advanced, like graphically than it really was than it actually yes. was. And that, yeah, I mean, I've, I've harped that's on all that rare. so many times, like. Um that that concept i mean mortal kombat did it with like photos and video like digitized mm-hmm. but donkey kong i don't think it's the first i i've brought it up in the past and i think i found some earlier games that did that same technique which was to render something on a supercomputer and then turn that into a sprite and then feed that sprite to the console i think there were yeah. other games that did it before but uh donkey kong was definitely the one that i mean i remember people saying like donkey kong looks better than some playstation games and, oh uh, my god! Yeah, in hindsight, like right? especially like some early PS One titles, yes, that they're just trying to figure everything out. Like definitely, yeah. That that Donkey Kong was a was a big deal, and it, it again that makes okay that makes more sense because so what you're saying is they were more neck and neck until the tail end of the entire console generation. Super Nintendo pulled ahead because of these big hitters. Well, I would even say that for a while, Sega was vastly outperforming the Super Nintendo. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously in the previous generation, the master system didn't do anywhere near the NES numbers, but, um, due to Nintendo's licensing agreements with how they treated third party developers, a lot of third party developers started branching out and trying stuff on the Genesis and Sega because Sega had more lax developer criteria type of thing. Um, and that's why you start seeing other games show up on there. You know, you have like Castlevania bloodlines and then you have like Konami did a lot of stuff on the Genesis. Um, and then you also have like one of the, one of there's a cool YouTube channel. I don't watch a lot of it, but I like the concept of it. It's called console wars, not like the book, but, uh, it's the idea that he looks at, it's this guy named Dan. And what he does is that he looks at two games that were released on both, the Genesis and the Super Nintendo, and I assume others as well, like not just those two consoles. And then he compares and contrasts them. Um, famously, like the like the like Aladdin on the, the Aladdin. Genesis and huge and one, Nintendo, yes. and Super Nintendo are very different games. Like the Genesis one looks nicer because it had actual Disney animators on it. And from what I've heard opinions of, I can't say for certain. This is not my opinion. The Super Nintendo one has better gameplay, but that's still technically subjective. 
I have heard both. I mean, I knew the, uh, I knew that I was already aware that the Genesis version had actual Disney animators developing the sprite work. Mm-hmm. And that's why it looks so much better. And that's also a very common one that comes up between comparing the two systems. And again, one that as a kid, I could brag that the Sega was better. We would argue about which one is better all the time in the schoolyard. And I had a Sega and uh, Aladdin was one that I could bring up. Donkey Kong was a big hitter, but I don't, I don't know if you played it at the time or I'm sure you're aware of it, but from my memory, Sega's answer to Donkey Kong was Vector Man. Yo, I actually have Vector Man. That game looks great still. It's amazing. It looks amazing still. I I, I like Vector Man. I, I mean, the Genesis, I always found like I was worse at the games, but I, I Genesis, I have a soft spot for just one. I think it actually has one of the coolest names for any console. I think the Sega Genesis is just an awesome name for a video game console. That's you don't you really grew get up. stuff you, like that anymore. It's because you grew up with the Bible. Genesis is the beginning. <laughs> but yeah. even so, it just it's a it's a cooler name than like than like I don't know. It just like the N sixty four. I love the N sixty four, but it's just it's it's the the naming conventions have gotten like silly and either you do something simple like playstation which no no issues with i like the fact that they do something simplistic one two three four five it's very straightforward versus like xbox Xbox. (laughs) like xbox i wouldn't mind that they change the name each time and it's not like xbox one two three four but i wish the naming scheme would make sense at least like or if it's going to be different each time don't make it confusing you don't call it xbox then xbox 360 okay fine you're going to do 360 to compete with the playstation 3 because that way it doesn't seem like uh out of date like just by the name that's fine i totally understand that but don't make your next console the xbox one yes i ran into the same problem uh, on a previous podcast i was talking about the master chief collection Mm -hmm. and uh, how I've been playing it on PC and going back and playing Halo 1, which was really the only FPS that I got good at competitively, and uh, and how well the Master Chief... I was talking to the guest about like how well the Master Chief collection on PC captures the feel of playing it on Xbox. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, they have have the Master Chief collection on Xbox One. And I thought he meant the original Xbox. Uh, okay, no, they yeah, don't. No. I was like, and no, they don't. That's why you have to say like OG Xbox or original yes. Xbox, and then you yeah, have yeah, Xbox yeah. One. It's it's and then then the newest one they have the Xbox Series X, which is just like I I don't mind consoles changing their names. Like if I mean, look at Nintendo. After the N sixty four, you had Nintendo Super Nintendo, then you had the Nintendo sixty four. Then you had the Nintendo GameCube. Then you had the Wii. Their only big misstep with naming was the Wii U, but then they yes. changed, switched it up to the Nintendo Switch. Yes. So, like, each... it, They name their systems kind of, like, based off, the uh, like, a central design concept. And this is... this is I'm just kind of speculating now. It's all coming to me, like, right now. So this is... None of this is research. This is all just off the top of my head. But, like, the GameCube, it was a literal cube, like, Straight, yes. straight up. Yes. Uh, the Nintendo Wii. It's because they want. They. It was a very. Inclu- it was a party system, right? So we are all together, like we, as in like a community, as a collective mm. of pe- as a group that of people. Sense. Um, the Wii U was just a dumb name, like I said. Like, I don't. I. I didn't mind what they did with it. I thought the 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 touchpad was a cool idea. You could play with five people. It was you know five cou- five person couch co op, which was kind of cool. But, you know, the naming scheme just kind of made it confusing for consumers. And then you have the Switch, which the whole idea is that you can switch between 
console play and handheld play at a Definitely. win. And it's effective. And I, I love my Switch. And so each of their... I mean, hell, even all the way back to the NES. Um, it was called the Famicom in Japan because it was a family computer. Mm. Uh, but the NES, it was called the NES because the, since due to the video game crash, they didn't want any association with video games. They couldn't call it a video game system because that ah. would have been a death sentence. Yeah. Okay. So they called it the Nintendo Entertainment System, and they used Rob the Robot as kind of like a Trojan horse into <laughs> retailers to be like, look, we're not a video game system. We're an entertainment system. See, we have a robot and a gun. And because it came with the zapper at the time, too. Um, and that's also why they changed it from a top loader to a front loader to kind of mimic a VCR. Uh, I have never heard that, but that makes 100% sense. Rob Rob the Robot is fucking cool as shit. If he's a little broken, but he's cool. Um and that that was his whole purpose. Like he was meant to be a Trojan horse to kind of trick retailers into say realizing, oh no, it's not just a video game console. No, no. Look at look at this robot we have. Sweet. And like Rob Rob was cool because you could actually like um I mean I didn't have I've I've never owned one. I would love one, but they're expensive too to get your hands on especially if you get it like complete in box with the original because it i think they only came with the box with the with an intent with a console i don't think you could get them separate but i don't know maybe i'm wrong with that i haven't done any research on that part but like uh with rob you could uh like he would actually play with you so what would happen is you would face him towards the tv and the tv would flash and he had these sensors in his eyes and they would read the flashes and determine what to do next Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Crazy. Uh, I don't know a ton about that. I want to talk about sixty-four, but okay. I have to pee again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. I'm never. I am never drinking White Claw. Either a White Claw is the devil, or b, which it is. B, I have prostate problems or something. But give me like <laughs> fifteen seconds, and then I want to get into sixty-four because I know that's going to be a good one. And by the way, how much time do you have? I don't want to like. Uh, I don't you... have any. Like I don't have any restrictions. Okay. Give me one second. We'll keep going until it's not fun anymore. Okay, sounds good. Thank you again for your patience. No problem. Uh, 64. So that was your first, 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 first console. Yes, the you, first one had that, I, uh, that was mine. I did end up buying a PS1 with my own money a couple years later. But yeah, Ooh. the N64 was my first console. We'll get to the PS. We'll get to what you played on PS1 after you bought it specifically for yourself. But let's go. Uh, I mean, I'm assuming we talked about Ocarina of Time or Ocarina yeah, of Time. Yeah, we but- touched on it. Um, my my first game for the N64 was actually Donkey Kong 64. Oh, so you got and it a little bit later. Yes, uh, I got it. Like I said, I was 10 years old, so I was. It would have been 1999, so it had been out for three years already. And so you had a. Uh, that came yeah. with the expansion pack, like the memory expansion pack, right? Yes, it came with the RAM expansion. Yes. Because that was a, it was a game-breaking glitch they couldn't figure out how to fix, but they realized that just by giving the console more RAM, it would fix the glitch for them. So instead of having to program it out, they just shipped everything with the, with the RAM package. I did not know that. I thought that the game, I mean, at least the way that it was marketed, or I, I interpreted it as a kid, that this game was built around having this expansion and it was and it was a uh, cutting edge 
No, it was, it was it was just that uh, they couldn't figure out a glitch. <laughs> wow, I did not know that. So that seems a little like what's the cost of spending more time to figure out the glitch versus shipping every game with a memory expansion? I honestly don't know. I mean, it could just be they were under a deadline and they didn't have any more time, so they decided to just say fuck it and we'll ship it with it. Uh, essentially, they just said "fuck it," we'll fix it in post, <laughs> and that was pretty <laughs> yeah. much that was pretty much what it was. Uh, but no, I had I had DK sixty four, and it's funny because, like I said, when I first got it, I was really disappointed it wasn't the Genesis. And with Donkey Kong sixty four, I was just like, I don't, I don't know about this game. Like, why would I care about this game? This isn't Tiny Toon Adventures. I was, I was so upset, and um. And actually, it's funny because my mom told me later on the reason it, the reason she picked that and not the Genesis is because a guy at Walmart convinced her to get the N64 and not the Sega Genesis. Um, and you know, years later, I'm kind of happy about that. Like, I'm legitimately pretty happy because otherwise, I wouldn't have experienced half of the games that I did. But yeah. uh, what we did the next day on like the 26th of December, we went to Blockbuster when that place was still a thing and we rented Pokemon Snap. Oh, and I played that to hell and back because I was obsessed with Pokemon and I couldn't get, um, I didn't have a Game Boy at the time, so I couldn't play the original Pokemon. Ah, but I, I used to always play my friend's Game Boys. I would like. I was probably such a bratty kid too, man. Like I, <laughs> I remember like if I went over to my neighbor's house or whatever, like when I would take my turn, my turn would, would last for like hours. <laughs> I just kept playing. I was so, I would want to go over to my neighbor's house only to not to see them just to play their games. I might, I've definitely done that. Oh, I definitely did that. Thankfully, my parents were nice. Were like, uh, they raised me. They they taught me well at that time. We'd be like, no, if you're going to go over, you're going to play with them, not just to play with their games. I'm like, why? I just want to play. Their-. And you know, of course, I didn't understand that would be rude. Um, and in our defense, though, I look back on it. I would look at what our neighbors would do. Our neighbors would come over to our house, knock on the door, and say, "Hey, my mom said I could come over." Didn't say anything to us beforehand. They would just show up and just say, "Hey, my my parents said I could come over," and we're kind of like, "What?" Uh, okay. I come on in. I guess just invite themselves in. I don't. I, probably, <laughs> really I, I, uh, I was a terrible kid. I did all of those and more. Definitely used <laughs> used friends for video games, and definitely showed up at a friend's house unannounced. So uh, better man than I. That's the theme of this podcast. Better man well, than no, I. No, I don't know about that. But it's just you know, <laughs> your kids. You don't understand. But uh, yeah, so uh, I played. So I got Pokemon Snap, and it's funny because the moment I got the N64 is when I stopped playing with my neighbors because now I finally had a video game console, and all I did was I played the N- I w- They would always be like, hey, do you want to come out and play? I'm like, nah, I'm playing my 64. And then I would just never spend time with them. Um, but so I ended up playing Donkey Kong 64, Pokemon Snap. I ended up falling in love with DK64 once I kind of understood what it was and understood how to play it so is that uh, game worth playing i never played it i had a 64 but never played that game and i've thought about going back and trying to beat it as like a retro classic it would be rough rough. now i love that game but it is a -a collectathon it is (laughs) 
like every single thing. So essentially the way the way the game plays is that you this is where the the they introduce more than just Donkey and Diddy um and Cranky. You had uh I think well you also had like Funky and Candy Kong from Donkey Kong from the Donkey Kong Country games, but in terms of playable characters you still have Donkey and Diddy, but then they they added Tiny, Lanky and Chunky. Uh Chunky Kong, Tiny Kong, Lanky Kong and each one they, I don't know why they were all Kongs, because they were completely different species. Uh, Lanky was an orangutan, and Chunky is just... A, I'm pretty sure he's a gorilla. I don't really... I'm not 100% certain. Um, and Tiny was just a really tiny monkey, or primary... I don't know which. But uh, essentially, the way it would work is that you had... You had... I, I forget how many different levels, but there's like... Um, like, I'm going to say five or six different levels, and in each level each of the Kongs, each of those five Kongs had a shitload of things to collect. So each Kong had five golden bananas in each level. So just like in DK country, you had to collect the golden banana or you had to get his banana hoard back, you know? Yep. Um, so you collect the, you collect all, there's a hundred golden bananas in the game and each world, including the hub world, each Kong has maybe not the hub world, but at least in each world, each Kong has five golden bananas. In addition to those five golden bananas, there's a hundred regular bananas for each of them to collect. In addition to those hundred regular bananas, there's also blueprints, which yield one of their five golden bananas. So you have to go, you have to find the blueprints and then you have to hand them into some guy. Um, there's just, I don't, I don't remember all that. I'm amazed. I remember all of that. Uh, and then in the, in each level, there is, coins for them to collect as well so each kong had all of that so you take all that and multiply it by five and that's how many things you have to collect in the game and the, it was it's a it's a big collectathon i love that game but when if you look at it kind of from a macro perspective there is a lot of problems with it but um the gameplay was fun. All the Kongs got different guns. Like Donkey got a coconut gun. Diddy got uh, his peanut poppers, which were little pistols. Um, Tiny had a little crossbow that she would shoot feathers out of. Uh, Lanky had a blow had a blowpipe that would just shoot grapes. And then Chunky had a pineapple launcher. It was just a missile launcher that just like jettisoned pineapples out at like high velocities. It was great. And that's also where the DK rap came from, if you've ever heard that. Yes, I have heard the DK rap. I, I think I knew it that it came from. from that game. Yeah, thing. I didn't. I mean, I knew the game was a platformer. I just, I just saw it as like a Mario sixty four clone, but with Donkey Kong, like a skin swap almost. Collect things. No, it's very plays Donkey Kong. Yeah, but I'm, I still might try it. I mean, you're not the only one I've heard that loves that game, but you are the first one to say that it might not hold up retroactively. No, I, I. I try to be pretty objective. Like I've tried when I, whenever I give my opinions on games, I always try to say like, this is what I have issues with, but I always try to just differentiate. Like here are things that I think are objectively wrong. Like these are actual problems with the gameplay versus things that I just, that maybe it just, just aren't like, my style. Yeah, or my taste. yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, trying to think of a good example. I, I okay. I've, I've been playing red dead redemption two lately and been really enjoying it. But the controls in that game are super dated. They use the same control scheme as the original Red Dead from like 10 years prior. 
And I'm kind of like, you didn't think to update this? Like, why do I still have to mash X to sprint as fast as I can? Why do I have to hold X to do a light jog? And why do I have, like, the the weapon wheel isn't intuitive. It's very, it once you get used to it, it's fine. But it's just not, it's not very well designed, in my opinion. Just the controls. I mean, shouldn't say that. They're They're not great. They're serviceable. Like, you don't. They don't completely detract from the gameplay, like they don't screw you over, but they could be a lot better hmm. than versus. So that to me, that's an objective criticism where it's like the controls just aren't as good as they could be. Versus um, in Red Dead, I don't like how the I don't like some of the missions. Like some of the missions aren't fun to me. That to me is subjective because that's just what I find fun. Which you know, people find different things fun Definitely. and whatnot. So. Like I try to, I try to really be like split it up. Like this is some things that I think are objectively bad versus subjectively bad, so on and so forth. That makes total sense. I think it's a good way to do it. What are some of the other big hitters you remember from the sixty four days? Toy Story two, Toy really? Story two for the N sixty four. I don't know awesome. anything about that game. I mean, I know it exists, but you're definitely the first person to bring it up. Let me look it up. Toy it was Story. they had they, each each level was a different portion of the movie. And it was a open. It basically, you had to collect five. What did you have to collect? Even I forget what you had to get. Um, you had to collect. Oh, planet. Uh, plant pizza planet tokens. Each level had five pizza planet tokens that you had to collect. Do various tasks to do. Sometimes you had to race. Like some levels, you race the RC car. Other levels, you had. I think each level you had to fight like a, a commander Zerg toy. Um, so that was like a little boss fight. It was optional, optional though. Technically, you could choose to fight Commander Zerg if you wanted to. I don't know how many Pizza Planet tokens were needed to beat the game anymore, but you could. Um, you basically the the le- the world was completely open and exploratory. That each level was an open and exploratory level where you can go all over the place. Like some levels would have you up in the rafters. Some levels would have you down like searching through tunnels like you would go to a construction yard site you go all over the place so there's a lot of like secrets you could get um so i just thought it was a really well done game i i I really enjoyed that game a lot i'm watching gameplay and it's it looks i'm the first my first thought is like it looks pretty good i bet i've been uh i geek out about trying to use emulators to sort of quote-unquote remaster a game and Mm -hmm. uh project 64 is a great emulator on PC that you can make things run in native 4K and you can use anti-aliasing and there's actually texture packs. Oh, like, nice. Uh, I have a, I'm going to be posting some stuff with Super Mario 64 where people have gone through and re- redone all the textures in the game and you can swap them out. Anyway, the, the reason I bring that up is I'm watching some gameplay footage of Toy Story 64, or Toy Story 2 on 64, excuse me, and I'm like, man, this would look really good. I'm going to maybe run this on emulator and see if I can capture some because the art direction, it's a little blocky, but just because it's Toy Story and it's supposed to be cartoony, I think it will scale really well in high definition. It's a fun game, dude. Uh, it, um, yeah, I don't, I mean, emulators are great. I just, uh, they, I understand where the, the hostility towards them comes because it is technically theft. You know what I'm talking about? It's like downloading movies or whatnot. But at the same yes. time, what's the sad reality is that if it wasn't for emulators, ga- like game history preservation wouldn't be nearly be as dead. far as it is now. Yes. And it's still nowhere near where it needs to be, in my opinion. 
uh, if it wasn't for emulators, like there'd be so many games lost to time. Definitely. Um, and a lot of times the part, the, the part of the way I sort of justify it sometimes, like with this game, I wouldn't play it to beat it. Probably I would play it to try to get some footage and see how it looks and tink around, maybe some oh, yeah. textures. And then, and then I would and move I'm on. I'm not one of the people who like, who like are like, I'm going to get on you about it. Cause the reality of it is, is that, it, my my personal opinion of it is if you can you find a way to rebuy it, this game currently you know like are you going to be able to buy Toy Story two like for the N sixty four an emulated version that's officially from Nintendo or from whichever developer that it was from I highly doubt it um, yeah probably so it's like what else like what else are your options like do you track down a used copy for the n64 if you still have an n64 or it might have even been for playstation one i don't know i it might have been released for that as well but it just like does it like can you find it still like if you there, there's some games you just can't find anymore you definitely emulation is the only way you can actually find those again and then I've I've also heard arguments. It's like, well, just because you want to play, it doesn't mean you have like the legal right to and blah blah. I don't know. I'm not going to get into that. That's more philosophical than. That's a I fair have. point. Yeah, that's a it's a hundred percent fair point. And like, I just I just sort of I'm open about it. Well, if it's immoral, then I guess I'm being immoral, and uh, I'm, I, I'm okay with I'm you okay still with buy people. new games, right? That's all that matters to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely spending money on new games. Speaking of. Not being able to play a game, and re- I grew up really, really hardcore uh, LDS Mormon, and there was this random uh, DOS game that was based on the Book of Mormon that I tracked huh. down and found. And like, you definitely cannot find that game in any way, shape, or form now. But I did find a uh, like a, a zip file of it, and then got it running on a DOS emulator. I'm like, okay, that's so obscure. Like, I just I don't feel bad. I'm like. It's, it was yeah. It's like, so well, where obscure, are you find so it? random. Like, you're not you're, gonna no find one's it. Gonna, you're not going to be able to yeah. find that anywhere. Plus, is the developer like? How are you going to even know who owns the copyright to it? Like who? Yes. Is, like who was the developer? Do they still own the the copyright to the game? Did the developer go under? Like, there's no way you're you're going to know. They half definitely of this went shit. under. It was a it's a more yeah. It, it's such a small audience in the first place, but it's a a game that I wanted to beat because it was a game that I couldn't beat as a kid that I had access to. Mm. And, uh, so yeah, I agree. The emulators are in a gray area. I spent, I've spent so much time, uh, tinkering around with like augmenting games and hacking games, which I, I find really, really fun. Like, uh, I, uh, final fantasy seven is a big one. It's come out, the remakes out and it's sort of in the new cycle, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a awesome mod called Tifa's final heaven, that you can mod the original PC version of the game or the Steam version of Final Fantasy VII, and you can swap out all the backgrounds, all the characters, all the animations, the menus, the po- everything can be modded. And uh, oh wow, that's a that's like its own hobby in and of itself. And and I I can honestly say I spent about well, that th- twenty five hours modding the game and. Mm-hmm an hour playing it <laughs> well like the thing is with stuff like that that is actually legal so 
emulators themselves are completely legal as long as the developer of the emulator worked it out themselves they didn't just copy it directly from like nintendo schematics without their permission if they did their own workaround it's a hundred percent legal Um, just the roms the the game it's just the roms that are legal now with that said even rom hacks are a hundred percent legal because what you were just describing of like tinkering with roms and stuff like that's a hundred percent legal because you're taking the game code and you're reworking it with your own assets, making your own game out of it, essentially. That is 100% legal still. It's just the ROMs, because it's like the same thing when you download movies or you download music. You, since you're downloading it without the permission and or paying the copyright holder the creator, in some yeah. way, shape, or form, that's where the legality gets into it. But yeah, it's... I'm, I, I, don't, I don't know all that much about all, like, you know... Like, because the... I don't know all that much about it, but like the, like we were talking about before the morality of like, should you download ROMs? Like I know so many people I've down, I've played with ROMs. Like I, I never wanted, I don't want it to come off like, Oh, you shouldn't download ROMs. Like I'm just saying like legally speaking, it's this, but like how the fuck else are you going to play some of these games? Yeah. And there's a lot of them where I'm playing a game that I played as a kid and obviously we bought it or my parents bought the game as a kid. And so I, I did, in a way, you could argue, well, I did pay for it at one time, or my parents did pay for it. That's true. We just lost our copy. True. Now, the counter-argument would be how many... There's been also a lot of games that I didn't own as a kid that I went back and replayed retroactively on an emulator, where, you know, and maybe... And the, the 100%, like, there's a lot of games, like, I'm trying to think of a recent one that I played. Mm, like, uh, I recently played Chrono Trigger, the the SNES version on emulator i did own chrono trigger on ps1 the final fantasy anthology but i wanted to play i wanted to play the super nintendo version which i never owned as a kid and you could argue well i played that i mean they made their money off me once on the ps1 version but i didn't pay ever any way shape or form pay to play the super nintendo version i just played it on emulator i get it i think that's fine (laughs) yeah i get it like and i get when people when people sweat me sometimes when i I post shit, and they're like, you're playing on emulator. I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> turn me yeah, in it, if you want to turn me in. Like, yeah, let let them be annoyed by it. It's not worth the. It's not worth yeah. the like defending yourself for. It's like, no, I just I understand the legality of it, but like, I mean, it's not even but, worth going into that. Just be like, yep, I am, and then just don't respond after that. that. That's generally what happens. Now, you did the after the 64, and you mentioned prior. If you had to pick a console, it would probably be the PS2. So I'm assuming. You went from 64 to PS2? I went from 64 to PS1 to PS2. Oh, um, yes, right. Oh, yeah, I forgot. You had a PS1 late. Let's talk about... Yeah. I know you got it late in the game, but what did you play on PS1? Lots of Final Fantasy. Yes! A lot of Final <laughs> Fantasy. 7, 8, and 9 were my bread and butter, my entry into the series. Um, oh, I boy. am a Final Fantasy VIII apologist. I really <gasps> enjoy that game, despite all of its flaws, which at the time, I when I was when I was first playing through it, I realized a lot of the reason I liked it so much is probably because I didn't deal with a lot of flaws because I played with a strategy guide. That's one of the only games in my life. I'm pretty sure it is the only game in my life where I've played through the game using a strategy guide, but... Mm. Uh, so, with that said, though, that kind of adds to the point that Final Fantasy VIII is a broken mess, despite of one that I really jo- enjoy. Um, it's got some good moments. I'm not saying, like, the whole game is broken, but there's a lot of, like, problems with its systems. Uh, Definitely. But, uh, I get yeah. a lot of grief. I get a lot of grief. When I had Retro Hangover on, 
me ended up talking about Final Fantasy, and I was defending Final Fantasy VIII, and they, they sweated me pretty hard. But I'm the same way. I had a similar experience in where the first time I played it, I got like halfway through, and I didn't understand the junctioning system. And so I got very far in the game, and my level was high, but I wasn't junctioning spells correctly, and I, could, I got stuck. I couldn't beat anything. And I mm-hmm. kept like grinding and getting levels up, but I didn't understand that you had to like draw spells, stack them up, and then attach them to because it was not explained it's, very well. It's not explained well, and on top of that, even if it was, it is a very tedious system to have to play through because you have to painstakingly draw all the spells yes. so you can junction them to your abilities to increase the, your stats and whatnot. Yes, uh, but um, the second time I played through it later, it's like. Probably four or five years later, it was PS. I I had a PS2 already, and I played it on a PS2 because it was backwards compatible, um, or maybe it was even a PS3, a launch PS3. Anyway, I I played it a lot later, older, and ended up loving the game. But I under I I understood, and again, I had the internet at that time. I could look things up. I agree with you a hundred percent. If you have some sort of help to understand how that game works, it's really really fun. But if you got it close to launch or as a kid. It uh, it was just too confusing. There's just yeah, there, it's the the junctioning system is confusing. And with that said, though, even though the junctioning system is very confusing, once you learn that, like you can break that game wide open in ways you can't oh, other yes. Final Fantasies. Like there's yes. so many things you can do. Like I'm not smart enough of a person to really figure it all out. Like I hear other people doing shit, and I'm like, oh, that makes sense. And I. I learned it retroactively through them, like right or vicariously through them. But yep. uh, when I first played it, I just kind of like brute forced my way through everything. Uh, but like eight for me, it was the world felt so real. Like seven, I loved, but the world didn't feel as full. If that makes sense, it felt like the towns had a lot of life in it, but there's a lot of dead space between all the towns and yes. final fantasy eight. It felt like the world had so much going on in it all the time. Like there was always something happening. Hmm. Um, and I nine see that. did that too, but only on the one continent, every, all the other continents were like barren, but the one continent with the three different warring, uh, nations, nations, not warring, yeah. but three separate nations. It felt very alive and real. Uh, by but, the time so you got, the PS1 mm-hmm. were all three of those already out? Oh, so yeah. you got them all? Okay. Okay. I was in... Let me think. I was probably in, like, 8th or ninth grade when I was playing through Final Fantasy 7 through 9. I might have already had the PS2 at the time, but I originally got the PS1 to play. I I, I think... I, I know I said Final Fantasy, but I actually remember now the fir- the game that I got it for was the original Medal of Honor. Oh, I do remember playing that. Yes. I loved that. That was Metal a good game. Um, that and my uncle had a game. He had he had a PlayStation that I would play periodically. And I would play... He had a game called Jersey Devil, which hmm. I remember vaguely. It was a, it was a, it's a platformer. It's a 3D platformer. I don't remember much else about it. But then the other game that he had was Sledstorm, which is a snowmobile racing game. Definitely remember that game. You you remember oh, that game? Sledstorm, I remember. Jersey Devil, I don't, but I'm looking Jersey Devil up now. Um, I think... You know what? I can't say I ever was exposed to this game. It's not ringing any bells. I yeah, this don't is, know much about it. I just know it's a 3D platformer, so I just remember Yeah, it looks kind of like it. a Spyro-type... A cartoony Spyro the Dragon. Yeah, or it's with a little bit of an edge to it. Like, it's very dark. 
Um, like just visually, it's dark. Yeah. I don't know about content wise, but in terms of visuals, it is very dark. Um, yeah, I played that. Sledstorm is is fucking awesome. It is a yes. it is a such a good racing game. I definitely uh, played I definitely played Sledstorm and uh, Jet Moto quite a bit. Mm. I, I did play a little bit of Jet Moto. I also I played a lot of demo discs from him. Yes, uh, back when, oh those things are great. He actually gave me he he was a subscriber to the PlayStation magazine, and so years later, just maybe a year or two ago, uh, when I moved in with my wife, like or then fiance. Um, he gave me a bunch of his old PlayStation magazines, and I still have all of them. I have a bunch of those old PlayStation magazines, and with them, I have a stack of probably 30 demo discs. Yes. The demo discs were... Uh, this, this is like the third time it's come up on the podcast, but a, a big memory for me. Pizza Hut, w- would, uh, at one point, was giving away demo discs with like a certain amount of um, like order of food. There was like the two main demo discs that came out with the PS1 closer to launch. Uh, mm-hmm. And I would put hours and hours into the. Which demo discs do you uh, do? You, if you can remember off the top of your head, and what games are on them? I don't know which ones I have because I haven't really played them since I got them from him. But I, the ones I remember playing as a kid, oh, um, the only one I remember was there was a demo of Jade Cocoon. Yes, and I know exactly I what you're talking about. That demo, I played it a lot, and. So much so that years later at a convention, I picked up a copy of Jade Cocoon. I have not played it yet, but I have a copy of it just waiting to dive in. But I have the, 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 I can't, I can't freaking speak. The, uh, the trouble of being a collector, it's a first world problem, but you know, so many games, so few time to play them all. Yes. So definitely, I, I have a lot, but I, I've barely touched like any game in my collection. That's how I mean. If if you're full on into collection, that that that's bound to be the case because there's so many games and one human. That's just the way any collector is. I mean, even as a, I'm not a, a physical collector, but my Steam library is like at like nine hundred and something. I mean, dude, I, holy shit! Like I have like I'm almost retarded. at three hundred in my Steam library. I'm nowhere near yeah. that. It's 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 retarded. I stopped. Actually, Games Pass taught me the light. I was against the idea of Xbox Games Pass until a, mut- a friend of mine. Uh, it's like, dude, it's five bucks a month. Just try it. And then I realized five bucks a month is probably cheaper than all the games that I buy and never play. And oh, then, yeah. And the fact that like there's games that I would, that I'm trying on games pass that I would never try. Cause I would never think about buying them, but I'm like, ah, it's part of my subscription. I'll try it. It's, I think it's a better model because my steam library, when I look at it, I just think like, what's the point? It's not even a physical, I just, Basically, no, through money, money in the toilet. There, there's a whole debate on the the merits of physical versus digital distribution and digital media and stuff. Like with Steam games and digital games in general, um, you don't own them. You own a license to play them, but you don't own them. So if you yes. bought it through Steam, they can revoke that license pretty much whenever the fuck they want. Yep. Uh, even if you're not doing anything wrong because you, they can just get rid of the license. If there's a, and it, you see it doesn't happen often on Steam, thankfully, but you see it a lot with the, with the console stores like Scott Pilgrim versus the world, for example. Yes, that that game you can't find that game anywhere legally, at least. 
Um, same with, uh, what is it? That resident evil game, right? The maybe or maybe it was silent Hill, the Konami one that was PT PT. Yep. Um, was yep. that silent Hill? It was uh it was supposed to be a playable teaser. That was the, the secret. It was a playable teaser for silent Hill. If you got the secret ending, it revealed that Norman Reedus was collabing with Hideo Kojima. It's going to be a new silent Hill games, which got canceled. But uh, and that's why that game no longer exists. Yes, but it, um, I still have it on my PS4, and it's still downloaded, and it worked for a long time. But now it doesn't even work. Now, thankfully, since no one paid for that, that was just a demo, I believe. Yes, it was just um, a demo. It was free. So you, you, no one really lost anything other than it just kind of sucks that you can't play it anymore. But like, there are tons of games. Like hell, even with like um the Wii, the Wii, the the eShop on the Nintendo Wii, like. Thankfully, Nintendo did a really good thing and was like, hey, they told you two years in advance when they were shutting it down and they gave you like, or it was like a year and a half in advance and they gave you like three months still to put money on and buy whatever the hell you wanted. And then you had a year after that was over to then download anything you want. So like the shop was up, you just couldn't purchase anything new, just anything that was already existing to your, like linked to your account, you could download. Yes. So that 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 was a really good thing because it gave all everyone like a chance to download anything they may have bought through the eShop. But if like you, but if you did that and you didn't download it, then you paid money and you it's gone. You don't. It's gone. You can't yeah. play it anymore. It's gone. I, I I think now where I'm at is um. I mean I'll I will buy games. There's definitely going to be some big games that I'll buy digitally. Like when Cyberpunk comes out, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to play it. But either I'm going to either try to play something on Games Pass. Because um, there's so many games on Games Pass now that uh, there's plenty for me to play as far as modern game goes. And then if I want the game enough, like I just bought Final Fantasy VII Remake physical, I'm like, that's a game worth buying physical, in my opinion. I don't, I, I'm trying to stray away from the, the Steam games because I agree. It's like I have a bunch of licenses for games that by the time I come back and maybe try to play some of these retroactively... They may not be available. I don't. I, there's no guarantee I'm going to be able to play them. And also, I mean, I mean that's the thing though. Like each thing has pros and cons because there's there's a really cool documentary called Not for Resale. Um, actually, there's a a game store, a video game store near me that they interviewed for the podcast or not the podcast. I'm sorry for the documentary. Um, Pat the NES Punk. Uh, he helped produce the documentary. Um, Pat Country. And it is a fantastic documentary where they interview a bunch of game like uh, like mom and pop like retro game shop owners uh, or video game shop owners, and then he they also interview game developers and stuff like that. And basically, the idea is that you it talks about the pros and cons of physical versus digital media, and like what is the future of the industry, like where is the industry going in that aspect, um, and like they. Um, it, they talked a, they talked a lot about that kind of stuff, but it was interesting because they didn't just paint like the the digital people as like some villains or something like that. Which everyone on it was definitely leaning towards physical. Like if you like the majority of the people interviewed, definitely probably preferred the physical media to digital. But they never once painted people who like the, the companies or anything like that who are trying to go more digital as like villains. They were they used an example like rocket league you know the the 
the car like soccer game type of thing. They they interviewed them because that game. There's no way that game would have ever gotten a AAA release ever. There's no way a yes. publisher would have taken a chance on that type of game. But because they were able to release it digitally and use digital distribution, that game took off. Um, yep. And even the even some of the there's one dude named Frank Cifaldi who is part of the Video Game History Foundation. He um or he created the Video Game History Foundation. He was even saying like how like games like Minecraft would a developer ever, would a publisher ever take a risk on a game like Minecraft like ten years ago? Probably not. Or eleven or twelve years ago, whenever it was first starting to come out. Like without digital distribution, a lot of the best games that are coming out now would not be able to come out at all because even if you could find a publisher or if you couldn't find a publisher, then it's self-publishing. And then you have to, you have a lot of overhead that you have to cover. And it's just, Mm -hmm. there's, there's pros and cons to all of it. Like the, the pros is that we get more games and that's great. The cons are like, we get to keep, we, there's a real possibility. We're not going to get to keep many of our games at all. I'm okay with that. I think that's just a strong point. I'm glad you brought it up. It's like the, Digital distribution lowers the barrier to entry where we get mm-hmm. games we wouldn't have gotten otherwise. And there's been a lot of great games. Even the whole indie the whole indie market, I mean, there's a few big indies that end up getting digital distribution later. Um, physical, you mean? Later? Yeah, excuse me. Yeah, you think you physical distribution later, if they've been successful digitally or they have a great like early access campaign digitally on Steam. But that's a that's a that's a really good point. As you were talking, I was thinking of all the games that I've played that have no physical version or didn't at first until they became more popular. And I, we would have had any of those games because the barrier of entry would have been too high and no one would take a chance on them. I think it's a fantastic point for digital. Like that's probably the strongest argument I could think of for pro digital, because if you're into games and especially if you're, if you're really into games, you love your mainstream games, but you also like experimentation and new things and fresh things. And that requires, mm-hmm. That requires someone taking a chance on something, and they're not going to. They, they need that digital. They need that lower barrier of entry, that lower overhead, in order to to basically put their idea to the test, develop it, and put it out there, and see if it's fun, and see what the market yep. does. And it's it's. Uh, I I mean I and I get it. Like I don't know. I just for me, I think that you need to keep like. Physical media will never go away, I don't think, like, ever. I'm not saying it's ever going to be nearly as big as it has been, obviously, and it's already, like, the, its foothold in the gaming industry, unfortunately, in my opinion, is is shrinking. But I don't think it's ever going to go away for a handful of reasons. One, there's always going to be people who like to hold the physical object in their hands. I mean, for crying out loud, records have made a comeback, and they're yes. selling decently well still. Like, it's no longer... I mean, it's still... It's no longer a fad, but it's no, but it's not at the level that it ever was, you know, in the seventies and eighties. Like it's never going to hit that level of like popularity again because it's not, you know, people buy their music digitally now. But I don't think records are ever going to go away because there's going to be a community of people who, young and old, who are going to keep wanting to get these. Um, And it's the same goes for video games, uh, at least in my opinion. And I'm no expert. It's just. Uh, just the way I kind of think about it is that 
there's going to be people who want to physically own games because additionally, like digital stuff, like Game Pass, I think is a great idea. Like I have no issue with Game Pass. I do have an issue with, um, I should say I actually have an issue. I don't like the idea of uh, Google Stadia, but that's just more from a functional standpoint. But like Game Pass, it's great because you get a, a series of game, like a handful of games that you can try out each month and then, you know, give it a go. It's It's a great, it's a great service to have. Um, but with, but with that said, even like, you know, if you like how many games are just going to be show up and then disappear forever. Or like, if you don't like a game and you buy it digitally, you can't return that. Like there's the, there's no way for you to like, they Mm. won't, they won't take refunds on that. Steam will. It can refund Steam games, which I've, I you actually can refund just, Steam games now. Yeah, I just refunded Red Dead Redemption Two because I waited because sometimes PC releases are a little rocky. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's still full price, and I'm like, you know, what, it's time. I think it's been out. I know there's been some patches. I downloaded it sixty dollars, and it would just crash on launch, and I spent like two hours trying to fix it. Okay, I was like, screw this. Uh, Steam will let you refund as long as it's within fourteen days, and you have less than two hours of playtime on the game that's that's fair then um oh yeah i do i did know that i i was thinking of that's how it used to be uh it it wasn't always yeah you're right there was a while i think there was all i think i think the refund thing is actually semi-new um and steam even the, the other argument used to be like you can't share games but steam lets you do that now as long as you give someone like people permission to peruse your library they can play games on your library you just can't at the same time you can at the same time. You have to basically, you can share up to five people. Uh, that's, I should preface, I have 900 games on Steam, but like 600 of them are mine. The other, the other are shared games. Um, yeah, you, you let someone else log into your account from their computer and prove that like, you give them permission and vice versa. And then you can share as long as you're both not playing the same game at the same time. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I've, I've totally lost the thread of how we got onto that. How did that we doesn't matter. That? I want to know, um, so you did that. We were on PS1. Anything else besides the Final Fantasies that stick out on PS1 before we moved to the big kahuna? We already talked uh, a little bit about 64, but... Yeah, we, uh, I mentioned, you know, like Medal of Honor, I mentioned Jersey Devil. Um, I'm trying to think if there was any other big ones on the PS1 that, like, really hit me. Um... Did you do Metal Gear Solid on the PS1? That was a big game. I did not upon release. I had a, a friend of mine at church, uh, not the same one with the any, with the Nintendo and Super Nintendo, but a friend of mine at church had it. And I remember him showing me him breaking people's necks. And he's like, this is so violent. It's cool. <laughs> uh, and that's that's what I remember uh, MGS before I actually played it. for the. I played it for the first time probably like five years ago, actually. Okay, nice. Um, Holds up, actually. Holds up really well, surprisingly enough. Uh, but, yeah, so I didn't really... I don't think there was much of anything else. Um, I remember playing be... with my brother's Pooh's Party game, like a Winnie the Pooh, like, Mario Party clone, but I don't have any, like... It's it's nostalgic in the sense we used to play, but it's not something I would actually say is, like, really good. It's, it's a game. I've never... <laughs> it works. <laughs> I was unaware there was a Winnie the Pooh party game. I'll, I'll Actually, that. if you, uh, I, I can't see my. I have a, I have a bunch of PS One games. Um, I don't know how many are in my collection. I think like sixty to seventy or so. But 
uh, I don't re- I think it's like a ye- not a year at Pooh Corner. That's gonna bother me. I don't remember what it is, but it's like it's a Winnie the Pooh party game. Um, yeah, I I can't think of anything else that I really played a whole lot on the original PlayStation. Uh, years later, I did end up getting a copy of the original Persona for free from my brother, which was kind of cool. That's a that's a great 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 game. I bought that. I got way. I got really, really deep into our, uh, JRPGs uh, <clears throat> in Persona 1, the first one on PS1, and 2, Innocent Sin, and then there's another version called Eternal Revelations. I played both of those. They're I really, really I good. I have that. I have Persona Revelations. Revelations? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, that's the first one. Uh, in t- e- yes. I might be, damn it, people might be... Fr- Persona Revelations is the first one. Innocent Sin is like the Japanese version of the second one, and then there's like the American, there's two versions of Persona 2. I, I'd have to look in it up America. to remember. Yeah, yeah. No, my my uh, my old roommate had Persona 2. I my brother got Persona 1 at a yard sale for like two dollars. He tried it and it didn't didn't like it. And then he gave it to me because he knew I started collecting games. And I didn't know much. Like I I saw I was like oh Persona okay I've I've heard of Persona 3 and 4 but I like this is like years and years and years ago only now do i realize like that disc is like worth two hundred dollars now it's a lot i uh i have a uh what's the word a tell of caution for a collection i only had a good ps1 collection but I, that was like my my uh system mm-hmm. right i had i had uh multiple versions like greatest hits black bar original of like the old old ps1 games weren't in the cd size they were in the longer cases Mm-hmm. Um, I had a big set of those. I had Persona One, Two, both Greatest Hits—not Greatest Hits, but a Black ba- Black Bar and Non Black Bar on the side. And I, I was like really low on cash, probably like my third or fourth year of marriage. And I just, I had, I've been lugging around this giant collection from like apartment to apartment, to wherever yeah. we were living. And I took it to a local game shop and I sold everything, and it ended up being quite a bit, like eighteen hundred bucks. Oh damn. Um, and then the place went out of business like three months later. And I I just, <laughs> I really regret it. Like it wasn't, I mean, I've seen some crazy collections on some people. Have, I mean, I've seen yours. Yours is like insane. This was just PS1. But man, oh, I kind of. Mine's kinda, nothing compared to other people's. I see some, like I, I just broke a thousand games for my console collection. Um, there's like maybe three of them that are actual like digital. Like I have Journey for PS3 and other stuff. Like, yeah, there's yeah. A, like there's maybe like two or three games digitally in that, but everything else is like physical, and that's nothing compared to like other people. I know some people who have like just uh, that. I shouldn't say I know, but like I've seen, I follow a bunch of people on like Instagram and stuff like that where they have like three, four thousand game collections. No. It's fucking wild, dude. It's yeah. There's a guy called Mez Moron. I don't know if you follow yeah, him. Yeah, I follow him on Instagram too. He's got a complete NES. He's got like a bunch of complete complete DS. He's got like a full on library in his house. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. insane. It's crazy. It's, um. Uh, so we did sixty four. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh PS2. We're mm-hmm. uh we're already at two hours, so let's do some PS2 and then kind of like wrap up from there. Uh, PS2, I think, is still the f- best-selling console of all time. I know yes, it was. The original DS came close, but uh, it didn't it did not beat the PS2. PS2 is still the highest-selling console of all time. Yeah, it's the goat. What uh what did you play on PS2? Whew. Um, Jack and Daxter, Ratchet yep. and Clank. Um, 
a little bit of NHL on that. Uh, I didn't actually play Sly Cooper on release, but I did play it afterwards. A lot of James Bond games. I loved the James Bond games. Like I, we didn't even talk about Goldeneye. I loved Goldeneye on the 64, of course. But my first one on the 64 was actually The World Is Not Enough. That was my first foray. Oh, so into, you went back uh, James to Bond Goldeneye. Games. Yeah. Sorry, what? So you played World Is World Is Not Enough first. Yes. And I actually like that more than GoldenEye, which is a controversial <gasps> How opinion. Dare you. Yes, but GoldenEye is great. It's uh, it, no one will ever be able to replace what it did for console shooters, but it doesn't really hold up. And I'm not saying well, we're, the world's not enough. Also, doesn't hold up, but like uh, doesn't really hold up to modern sensibilities. But I did um, not. I don't. I actually never played World is Not Enough. Oh, um, so good. I, I should mean, go back. I, I it looks better. It, I. I'd have to really sit down and analyze both of them to see like which is actually better. But I love the world's not enough. It, I, from what I remember from the campaign, it had more stealth sections than Gold and I did, so it had more varied gameplay. Um, but it was cool. It had vehicle sections and a bunch of other stuff. I love the world's not enough. But um, played a lot of Double O Seven games on the PS2. Uh, I played Final Fantasy X. I played a lot of DDR as well. I love DDR. Um, what'd you Medal think about 10? Sorry, what? What'd you think about FF10? Oh, I, I love FF10. I think it's great. It's, uh, that story, whenever there, there's a handful of games that like really make me cry. And that was one of the first ones to do it. Like that ending spoiler alert with like cloud, not cloud. I'm sorry. Titus with, disappearing. Uh, Titus, with Titus yeah. having to get like, wait, have you, you've played it, right? Yes, definitely. Okay. Definitely. I just want to make sure I wasn't spoiling it for you. Um, the I game's was, like a hundred years not, old. But then I realized Don't worry I was just it. talking and talking and didn't <laughs> double check. Um, but when Titus or Titus, however you say his name, like he has to go back to the, I forget what it's called, what the place is called. It's been, it's been a while since I've played it, but essentially he like quote unquote dies, but not really. And he has to leave Yuna behind and like, he comes up behind her and like hugs her, even though she, yes. you know, they can't really feel it. It's like, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. I'm actually, I got a little bit, bit of the chills thinking about, it. I wasn't married at the time. Now I am. And now thinking about, remembering that scene and now being married like yeah i definitely that would uh knowing knowing you have to go and you have to say goodbye that that would be uh it was good i remember being a little confused because he, he goes back to like the planes because isn't it like the technically he never existed because he undid his own existence by something like that defeating it was sin like, yeah i don't know that game final fantasy in general i would say <laughs> Not in general. I would say the start of Final Fantasy JRPGs is where the storylines just started getting so convoluted. Um, I never played 12, but like 13 is so hard for... I never beat 13, and that's so hard to follow uh, from what I did play of it. Like uh, 15, I really liked a decent amount, but um, yeah, 10, 10 is really, really good. Uh, played that to hell and back. I got a handful of... I only got two of the ultimate weapons. You know how, like, each character has a weapon yes. that can break the damage limit? Yeah. Um, I got Yuna's, because hers was super easy, and I got Titus's. Or Titus's, whatever. Um, and that his was annoying, because you had to do, like, chocobo races, and you had to get... Essentially, you ran through balloons, and it would take off time. Like, it would take off, like, two or five seconds or something like that every time you popped a balloon. And you had to end, finish the race with negative time. Uh, I think I do vaguely remember that. I vaguely remember 
trying to get Waka's ultimate weapon, which requires you to play the Blitzball minigame, which I hated that minigame, and I gave up. I was like, I'm not going to grind this out. I don't even like him anyway. I think his, he throws a ball at people. I don't even need him in my party. Lulu's <laughs> was the toughest one, I think, to get. I, I think I only got Titus's, to be honest. That's all I remember is his, uh, his final sword. Yuna's is pretty easy. You just have to go to like two different places. It do, it's not much of a challenge. It's just you have to find it, I, which I'm pretty sure I looked up. I'm not, I don't think I found it on my own. I looked up how to do these. Um, Lulu's was bullshit because you had to dodge like 99 lightning bolts on the, in the thunder planes or whatever in a row. And oh yes! I, I could never even dodge one, so I was like, "Fuck that noise! I can't." <laughs> <laughs> How are people supposed to do that? Was there any like um? I'm trying to. Th- I can't think of an optional boss. Like you know, Final Fantasy VII had emerald and ruby weapon. Final Fantasy IX had that like glowing ball. Like you know how a lot of uh, RPGs, Final Fantasies in particular, would have side bosses that are actually way harder yeah. than the campaign end boss. I can't yeah. think of one for Final Fantasy X. I don't know if there was one that was harder than the end campaign boss, but I know like a lot of like the to get the summons, like to get Yojimbo, you had to defeat Yojimbo and stuff like that. So like there's yeah. there is optional bosses that you could get, but I don't know if there's any like one ultimate one. Like uh I did the one in Final Fantasy VIII. that's the only one I ever did. That was Ultima Weapon. Yes. And he, he was the easiest out of all. I mean, he was still tough, but like uh, if you get the Aura spell, if you if you found enough of the Aura spell, you could just cast it on Squall and just Renzo Kook in his ass till he's dead. And yeah, there was a... I would do... A, like, the trick I would do on Final Fantasy VIII, I picked up from online from someone, which is Aura plus, like, you, you, you start, like, low limit, like, low health, so your limit break will automatically be there. And then there's, like, some sort of auto Phoenix down or auto regain, so if you die... You come back to life, auto oh, cast or auto cast aura, and you're always at low health, which means you can limit break basically every turn. Well, the and, nice uh, thing about aura is that you didn't even need to be at low health; you could just cast it on yourself, and then oh yeah, that's what keep... aura was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe I'm getting the two mixed up. I'm, I mean, my memories. I remember there but, was well, one the, trick that you had the mechanic correct. It was just that aura bypasses the fact that you need to be at low health to get your limit yes. breaks. Yes, that makes sense. And Aura, Ultima, I think Ultima was the, I remember drawing 99 Ultima for everybody to attach to their attack, or and just it taking so long. It was like a marathon to just, <laughs> I don't remember where I, uh, yeah, that, that whole system. Love it, love and hate, love and hate. I, I'm actually not a huge fan of 10. I like 10 in a lot of ways, but I had a really hard time with Titus. I just didn't like him. And when you don't like the main character, mm-hmm. you have to spend 60 hours with him. It gets a little rough. I mean, I beat it. I definitely beat it. But uh, it's it's a little bit lower on the... I, I get grief for defending 8, and I get grief for not liking 10 quite a bit. And everyone has their opinions, though. Yes. I mean, that's, yes. A, that's what's so great about gaming in general. Um just the, like you two people can experience the exact same game and get completely different things out of it and even can experience completely different have completely different experiences because everything's so different and unique um but yeah i'm trying to think if there's anything else that i like i played for oh um i didn't play it originally on the ps2 but i ended up playing it a lot after i got it it's called metal arms glitch in the system 
Metal arms glitch in the system. Like it sounds like a mech game. Like not metal, but metal, like iron and shit like that. Yeah, metal, metal arm. arms glitch in the system. It is a fucking amazing game. It is a third person shooter where you play as this robot named Glitch, and it's got a decent storyline. It's got really fun characters. Like the humor is really funny, and uh, you it's robots fighting each other. And the way I found out about it is that one of my good friends, Tristan, who's been on my podcast a number of times for a lot of Insomniac games and uh, and Naughty Dog games, uh, he got it because his parents were super strict with video games, and he wasn't allowed to play any games that involved violence towards people. But since Metal Arms was violence towards robots, they were totally oh, cool with it. Oh, yes. Dude, this looks... I looked it up. This looks awesome. looks really oh, good. It's so good. It's uh, it's so good. Uh, it the attention to detail with a lot of stuff in it, I'm really impressed by even now. So you fight these robots, and depending on where you shoot them, you can damage their their body so it doesn't act the way it's supposed to. So, for example, um, you have a you you can swap out the gun on your arm, like it's almost like how Barrett in Final Fantasy VII has a gun grafted into yeah. his arm, but yeah, you can yeah. just swap it out, like hot swap it whenever you need to, because you're you know you're a robot. The enemies you fight, they can't do that. It's like permanently grafted in. Like they can't switch weapons. So they're stu- so you have very specific types of soldiers. You know, rocket launcher soldiers. You know, um, machine gun guys. So on and so on and so forth. Well, what if you target their arm specifically? You can make it so like you don't shoot their. You could shoot their arm off, or if you do enough damage to it, they lose control of it, but it's still on. So they'll be standing there, but their arm is moving like waving around like a wavy, like a wacky inflatable arm flailing tube man guy, and but it's just the arm you damaged, and so they have. So they can't control like they'll look at you and they know they're and they're trying to shoot you, but they can't aim at you anymore. And so they'll just be staring you down and they're they're shooting their machine gun and it's just going all over the place, like either hitting some of their own enemies or some of their allies or what not. And it was especially fun if it was a guy trying to throw his a grenade because sometimes he would just throw it into himself and blow himself up. Or if it was a rocket launcher guy, he would just shoot at a, a, one of his enemies or one of his allies by mistake or himself once again. The game was great. There was even like a mechanic where you could get this thing called the control tether. And you can – there's like these enemies called titans, which have like twin chain guns for hands and a side-mounted rocket launcher on their shoulder. And if you snuck up behind them, you could take the control tether and – essentially like shoot it into their deport which sounds dirtier than it actually is <laughs> um but uh you uh you take over them and you can control them up to a certain distance away from your body like your body disassembles and you transfer your computer program i guess into this robot and then you can go around and just start fucking things up um if you w- walk too far away then you lose control of them but um uh, you lose control either by jumping out of it, by walking too far away with it, or it getting destroyed. And then you put yourself back together and you're good to go. Dude, the, and you could do that play, with even like regular enemies. It was awesome. The game I've been watching gameplay the whole time. I'm actually seeing a lot of things you're talking about. Uh, I've been watching a YouTube video. One was it a it was a PS2 game because it was it released on something else because w- yeah, whatever you get I'm it on Xbox as well as GameCube. So it wasn't a PS2 exclusive. Okay, I was gonna say whatever I'm watching, whoever's made this YouTube video, it looks a little bit too good to be a PS2 game. 
um, little too it sharp. Might be an original Xbox one then. Might be the uh, Xbox or version GameCube. of it. Yeah, it looks like it. Lo- I'm gonna have to uh, track this down and play it. It looks fun. It it's has so like good, a. Man. Like almost like a Wally, like Disney type charm to the design. Yeah, like I, I would agree with that. Yeah, like you, it's not like it's not like hardcore sci-fi robots and cyborgs. It's like you like this cute little yellow dude running around blowing people up. The sense of yeah. humor in it is great too. Like, um, there's a there's a mission where you're chasing after like this this spy or this this guy is trying to run like this villain is trying or sorry this enemy's trying to run back to his base and basically give them intel about like the the home base of where you guys are at so you're chasing after him um and the vehicle sections are aren't that great in the game but anyway uh you he he gets onto a place where you can't travel by car so you have to get out on foot so as you're yelling back he's like all right he's running through this um i'm gonna chasing him here you head him off at the pass and the guy who's in the car starts screaming at was like head him off at the pass who the hell says that what are you some kind of fucking cowboy but since it's only rated uh teen they had to bleep everything out so there's just a lot of bleeps but you can like they don't do a great job at bleeping it so <laughs> you, you <laughs> know everything the, that he sometimes saying. a bleep is more funny than the actual word something about oh a bleep yeah can make it more funny yeah i like that um i'm gonna have to definitely check this out for it's sure. good, man. I loved it. I loved that game. Um, but this yeah, is a, so that's I this mean, is a great um, one. No one's brought this up before. Like this is a, you brought up a bunch of. Um, this is what I wanted. This is why I stalked you. I wanted uh, I wanted to hear some stuff I've never heard of before. This one, there was another one you brought up earlier. The early, early one that was like a Mac game was Pete's something. Power Pete. Power Pete. I'd never heard of Metal Arms. I never heard of. And you brought up one other one. And I'm trying to remember that I had never heard of before. Do you remember the console? Uh, I'll have to go back and listen to it during editing. I'll I'll track it down. Um, okay. Yeah, there was definitely a third one that I can't remember you brought up. Is there anything else? So I uh, lately I've been ending a podcast with some like rapid fire questions. Like, uh, is there anything yeah. else you want to go over before I I hit you with the questions? No, I think uh, I kind of. I don't mean. I I'm just kind of reminiscent, so I think I covered everything that I well, I covered everything we talked about at least. But yeah, you know, go for the questions. Okay. Best video game soundtrack. Oof. These types of questions are hard for me because I never really like I said with the my favorite console, I don't really have one that can I can pin it down. I will say the first game soundtrack that like really 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 stood out to me was any of the final fantasy seven through nine but if i had to pick one that like i enjoyed the entire thing it'd be journey for the ps3 Mm, that is a great soundtrack very good i actually got to interview austin wintery on my podcast for and talk to him about it he's he's a really nice guy i had a i played that game with a friend of mine and i watched him really i watched him play but the first time he played it he one of the very first like early on in the game. You know how the co-op's kind of like Dark Souls. You can't like there's just people there and you can do gestures, but you're not really like chatting or communicating with each other. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, a guy, I think it's like the white cape or like the white color, like someone who had mm-hmm. got all the scarves. Yeah, that's someone who's gotten all the power ups before. Yes, and they just led us through the whole game, and it, it helped us find everything. We just followed it, and it was like. 
we have no idea who that person is. Um, but it's like, I feel this sense of like, man, I wish I could find you and give you a high five. Thanks, man. Or a woman who knows. Um, like there's this weird sense of bonding to the stranger that, uh, and the the music, I mean, I think the whole atmosphere and the music of that game, a like lends itself to that experience of feeling like emotional about your, your journey, pun intended (laughs) with, with this person that helps you that game it just that game in general it gets a lot of love and it has it's a sort of a cult classic but i don't think it gets enough credit overall it's one of the examples of, of video games are high art because yes it's uh there's always that debate are video games art i mean there's no question video games are art but there's always like what they generally refer to is like are video games high art which um that I don't think should be even a question. It should be, but that like whenever people like give that argument, I, I mentioned this game. Um, I actually mentioned final fantasy six a lot too, slash three in the U S yes. I think it's a good one. Uh, I've, I've heard shadows, shadows of Colossus being shadow used, of the Colossus, yeah. shadow of the Colossus, excuse me, being used in that, uh, that argument as well. Um, great pick, great pick. Let's do favorite. Uh, well, you brought, you mentioned crying. What video game has made you cry the most? Ori in the Blind Forest. Oh, really? Oh my god! That, I never beat that's... it. I never beat it. I got like halfway through. But you know what I'm talking about in the beginning. Yes, yes. When he gets abandoned and the uh, yeah yeah. Oh, <laughs> first 10 minutes of up is essentially how I describe that intro. It just rips your heart out. That's how I felt with um, the beginning of Last of Us, the prologue. Last of Us is good. I Last of Us definitely hit me. Um, yeah, actually, Last of Us, that that whew, that's a close one, too. It sets. I mean, I didn't. Neither one of them. I, I definitely felt emotion on both of them. I could see. Ori's a little bit more because it's like Ori's so like everyone is so innocent in that game. Like yeah. all the characters that it hurts a little bit more. But uh but I didn't have a kid at the time. But if I played Last of Us now for the first time with a kid, I would have probably broke down in that opening sequence. I think for, sure. for me, Last of Us just didn't quite hit. I mean, it still hit hard. I'm not taking anything away from it because that game's fantastic. But uh, it's just the tone of that game is already dark and somber. Like you get that idea from it from the very beginning. So yes. when that tragic thing happens, it's still insanely, insanely sad. But it doesn't necessarily take you quite as much by surprise as it does in Ori. Yes, I can see that. Um, I can see that. Yeah, there's actually a really cool thing if you want to look at the behind the scenes thing of it. Uh, I think it's the behind. There's a behind the scenes series that Naughty Dog did for Last of Us, and Troy Baker, the voice of Joel, talks about that moment when he loses Sarah, his daughter, in the beginning of the game. Spoiler alert. Um, they he was talking about having to get to that place emotionally in order to deliver that scene. And it's a really interesting watch. I don't want to kind of spoil it, but it was, it was, they made him do that scene of Sarah dying in his arms, like at least 20 times. Hmm. Is that the one where they, uh, I watched a clip at the end where Troy and Neil, I think Druckmann or Bruckman, the creative director, you had it right. Druckmann. And then the girl who plays Ellie or like they play through the whole game, kind of like live stream and talk about it. 
and they talk about the end scene. Is that the same series? I just got to watch the. No, you're beginning. thinking of the retro replay channel that yes, yes, Troy that Baker one. and Nolan North do. That is a fantastic YouTube channel. It's an amazing channel. Uh, but no, okay. they, this is separate. This is done by just Naughty Dog. Uh, that is done by you know Nolan North and Troy Baker's YouTube channel. Oh, okay. I have to look this up then, because I, I want to see what you're talking about. I'll see if um, I can find it and like link it to you in the Google Hangout, so you can okay. watch it later. Sweet. But All yeah, right, let's, keep going. Let's do um, best narrative in the game. Best narrative. Um, that oh, that's a tough one. Um, I it, generally I lean towards more modern games because I love you know I do love Final Fantasy VII and I do love fi- like the Final Fantasies. But they haven't the the story like how best can I put it the plot points still hold up for those games but the uh, but the actual execution isn't quite as impactful obviously as modern games because modern games have you know much more to play with much more tools to use um, but I would have to say the original Bioshock yeah, that's a good one that's the original a really Bioshock good one. like Last of Us I love but it's almost like last of us is one of those games where the gameplay for it was very, it wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. It was just average. Like they didn't really do anything special. It was just, it was solid. It was really good, solid gameplay. It was polished um, versions of, it was a polished version of mechanics you've seen before. Yes. That's yes. a, that's a good way to do it. Um, that's a good way to talk about it. And so the storyline is what really pushed that game. And once again, nothing wrong with that it's just that for me for a narrative to really hit i need the gameplay to also be in sync with it and bioshock had both had both gameplay and narrative like really really in sync with it Um, i think bioshock uh infinite out of the series bioshock infinite is the only one that i've beaten um i think they're all known well for good but bioshock infinite might be up there have you played it, by the way? I'm assuming you yes, have. Yes, I, I I love Bioshock Infinite. Yeah, uh, because uh, Comstock and just Columbia is heavily influenced, which has been uh, what's his face Kevin Levine has been open about about uh, he took a lot from Mormonism and early Mormonism and paid, okay. like and uh, so for me, like moving out of like growing up in Mormon and like really 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 hardcore and a lot of like it almost. When I played that uh, that game, and you go through the tower, and then you go up in the air, and then you're in the baptismal font, the start of the game, and there's like chanting and candles, and you get baptized. That like, ah, uh, it messed with me because I was like halfway out of like uh, changing my views on Mormonism growing up in it. But the, there was like all these callbacks and Comstock. It was based off Joseph Smith, which is like this cult, like. Leader in Mormonism. Yeah, he was a, he's the founder of Mormonism, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And Comstock was... I mean, they, he, they based him off a bunch of people, but they lifted a lot from Joseph Smith as well. Okay. Um, he talks about it openly. Like, I go, uh, for sure, when I was playing, I'm like, dude, this guy... They, like, this is so weirdly overlapping with deep Mormon history, which is such a small niche subject. Very few people know oh, about yeah, it. I, I know very little about Mormonism. Yeah. And he, it's, it's a great place to, to get ideas for games from because the whole... The history is crazy as shit. Sometimes real life is the best inspiration. And uh, mm-hmm. the whole idea of Comstock and then you're actually Comstock from the pe- like the time of that uh, 
Yeah, man, that was one of... I could see that. I never played Bioshock 1, but I know it's a sort of a similar idea where they built the Utopia underwater, correct? Yes. Um, I don't want to sp- do, spoil the plot twist for you, but it's a good plot twist. It's a very good... It's It's got a great narrative. Bioshock Infinite, I adored. I think um, the only issues I had with the narrative in that is it's got a little unnecessarily convoluted, but I still really... Like, that gameplay is still... Like, that game still is fun as shit to play. It is... And it's funny because, like even though it's technically in the same series, it doesn't play anything like the original, but it, but not necessarily in a bad way. Like the original one, it's very cramped because you, you feel claustrophobic because you are, you're tucked into this under underwater city. And so the combat is a lot more stealth based, not, not, it's not stealth combat, but it's like you need to use stealth more often than you do in Bioshock infinite, which is a much mm. more just like run and Shooter. gun, like blow yeah. shit up type of, game and it it just it's and it makes sense because you're out in the open air you're jumping from you know floating building to floating building definitely what is your let me think what do i want to ask you what is your favorite developer who is your Uh, favorite developer insomniac games right that's a good one one my favorite series they uh what's What's the what's game? What what do they have coming out next? Is they're not the ones? Sucker Punch is doing Ghost of Tsushima. What is Insomniac doing right now? Oh, I don't know what they're doing next. I'd have to look it up. But they did just do the Spider Man game from twenty eighteen. Oh yes, P- Spider Man PS four, which was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes, so good, so good, so good. That was one of the few open world games that I legitimately enjoyed doing every little side task. I yeah, did everything. I did it's everything. So well done. Yeah, that was a. That's an amazing game. Okay, favorite developer, favorite IP or series? Mm, I would probably say Ratchet and Clank. It's the one of the ones that I like. I love Uncharted, but I like Uncharted games. I never feel like completing everything. Like I don't want to get all. I don't feel like searching for all the treasures. Ratchet yes. and Clank. I had. I. I still don't complete it one hundred percent. I don't get all the skill points. I don't do everything, but I feel a lot more inclined to doing more with that. Or that doing more sense. in that. In I can that see series. that. Yeah. Okay. And then let me think. Let's do. We already did. We already kind of talked about favorite console. Favorite like single individual video game character. True. I feel like I have that reaction for everyone. I always have some like Dude, these are meant to be <laughs> hard. That's the point. Um, it's, it's, individual it's, video game character. Uh, I can't say I really have one. If I had to choose, and it's cliche as fuck, but it's Mario. I yeah, just that's fine. I just I I don't really have necessarily a single favorite character. Nathan Drake would also be a uh, up there for yeah, me. Yeah, he's good. Um, I really like Nathan Drake. But, hmm, is there any games that, like, a character, like, really, really, really stood? I really like Aloy from Horizon Zero Dawn. Okay. That that game is a, a, one of the better modern games I've, I've played. It's amazing. Oh, so that good. game, I could do a podcast. Yeah, I, I it, love sci-fi. Yeah, I would say Mario, Nathan Drake, or Aloy. Okay. Favorite, or not maybe not favorite, but who do you think is the best villain in all of video games? Hmm. Best villain. Uh, I'm trying to rack my brain. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 
I don't know if it's my favorite because I don't know what my favorite is, but I honestly think the best villain is Kefka from Final Fantasy VI. Ooh, I was just listening to Retro Hangovers. They had an episode about uh, Final Fantasy VII, and they were arguing if Sephiroth or Kefka was a better villain. And uh, one of the, the duo was arguing for Kefka, and he brought up some good points, which has made me like Kefka more, which goes along with what you're saying. I didn't know because I played that game when I was so little, and I think a lot of it went over my head. But I just viewed Kefka as like, he's just a crazy guy. Just like cliche. He's just a crazy Joker. guy. He's like the Joker. But they do explain kind of how he became the Joker and why he's so unhinged and random, which I didn't pick up. They bring up in this podcast that he was a, he was an experiment by like the Empire Magic Tech experiment. Oh, okay. And it drove him mad. And that's why he became the Joker and ended up like they taking over the empire, like the em- the empire created their own destruction with Kefka well, unknowingly. What I was going to say is like spoiler alert for those who have not played Final Fantasy VI, and for those if there's any confusion, it's Final Fantasy th- I three the whole in thing. America, Final yeah. Fantasy three in the U.S., Final Fantasy VI in the actual whole timeline. But um, for just spoiler for anyone who hasn't played it, he's one of the only villains in video games. I'm not going to say the only, but one of the only whose plan succeeds. The heroes don't win they finish up after the fact but they don't they don't win they he destroys the world yes yes they sort of get revenge on the fact that he destroyed the world but you don't stop you don't stop it from happening exactly so that and like sephiroth is a great villain he's i would say he's iconic in the sense like he's he he has great presence. Like you, you see him. Like he's just so ever present in video games in general. It's like it's kind of like Mario. Like Sephiroth and Cloud are like Mario for the Final Fantasy series. You know, like they're just. Um, I'm trying to think of the word. I just can't think of the word. They just culturally, they've had a bigger impact. Yeah, people are more aware of them. Yeah, they're more iconic. I could see that. But I, I agree with you. Uh, after listening to that podcast, I sort of switched my opinion. I'm like, you know what? I can see the argument for Kefka being like a better villain. And I think the point you brought up, uh, the, the, I, I mean, there's a little bit of that with Sephiroth. Like you don't, I guess you don't really have the chance, but he does destroy Nibelheim and he does destroy Shinra. Um, but, but you do like st- they're also, but like at least with nibelheim you didn't have a chance and in shinra you didn't have a anyway. chance but the, the yeah, word yeah. i was trying to remember before ubiquitous they're both very ubiquitous in the final fantasy series yes that's a great that's a great way to say it but that's a good point i hadn't thought about that i mean i do remember the world ending yeah, you don't stop him you destroy the whole world and you have to find all your characters again and re-get everybody mm-hmm. yeah that's uh dang that's a good one okay let me think okay one more i'm trying to think. choose carefully best like technically polished, like best controls, tightest gameplay of any game. That's you can a good, think of. That is a really good question because I don't. I've never heard anyone like. I'm not even saying because I don't get interviewed often. I'm just a small time podcaster as well. But like, well, that's presumptive. Maybe you're probably larger than I am. But um, the I've never. But in like all of the other interviews I've listened to of like everything, I've never heard that question before. That's a good one. Um, I want to say it's either going to be a 2D platformer or maybe Ratchet and Clank for the, any of them, because they're all really well, like the controls are so good on them. 
I'm going to say Super Mario World. The SNES? Yeah. Yeah. Super Mario okay. World has fantastic controls. Like everything feels so perfectly balanced. I do I mean that that might be I mean there's a few platformers that are the gold standard, but Mario in general, the original NES and then Mario three on the NES I think really set the standard. Um, because they had, it was the first one to have the overworld, but, uh, yeah, Super Mario World, that, that, that is the gold standard for, I think, even now, 20-something years later, that's, like, still the fundamentals of most platformers, even, even if it's a Metroidvania that has platforming elements, a 2D side-scroller action game with some more combat elements, it's like, all goes back to the formula, because Mario, I mean, especially, I think Super Nintendo Mario agree I think that's the best one. I mean, Mario 64 is a different thing because it went 3D. But as far as 2D, that, in my opinion, is also the, the best Mario. Maybe Mario 3 on NES, you could make the argument. But uh, I would probably go Super Nintendo, Super Mario World as well. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking of it now. Ori in the Blind Forest as well. That, that has one's good. super, super good controls. I have that and uh, the new one, Will of Wisps, on Xbox Games Pass, and I haven't played. Mm-hmm. I need to play. I need to play Metroidvania overall. Metroidvania type games overall are the m- most common game. Like I can play that formula over and over again. I never get sick of those. Which has kind of surprised me. I haven't beaten neither of the Ori's. I think the part, the reason why the Ori's haven't totally grabbed me, which is sort of hypocritical because hollow knight grabbed me it was the art style on ori it's like uh i don't want to play a disney game sometimes i want to play I like <laughs> like i played a recently uh oh, that one it's like a dark souls knockoff it's a uh, dang it why well, i can't remember it death's gambit Death's gambit. i've never heard of that it's like a adult swim game it's like dark souls translated to 2d it's a metroidvania it plays essentially the same as any Ori in the Blind Forest, Symphony of the Night, whatever, but it's just darker. Like a okay. dark, It's like Dark Souls, essentially. Um, I think that's what turned me off. But then again, I loved Hollow Knight, which is a very kiddie type of art style as well. But so, I would say Hollow Knight is also very dark. Like, it's got a very yeah. dark tone to it. So it may be, like, kiddie, but it's... Because it's very, it's very cartoon... It's... It, it's like we were saying it's before, like it's a cartoon Coral- control, it's like but it's Coraline, dark. the video game. It's kitty, but yeah, it's dark. Like a Tim Burton. Yes, that's kiddie. a good way to describe yeah. it. Yeah. That's a good one. I, I should play the Ori's. I know a lot of people, obviously, I know the Ori's series is very popular. The new one, Will-O-Wisps, got really good reviews. I started it. I like that you have like a sword. You start out with a sword, mm-hmm. not just the orbs. But I got, uh, yeah, I haven't done that one. I play Symphony of the Night every year like i think i've played symphony night all the way through like 15 times at this point that's one of my uh big gaming sins i have not played (gasps) symphony of the night i'm gonna delete this whole podcast (laughs) you now you don't even exist what i i need to i know i know i've been i actually was searching for a physical copy for the ps1 uh earlier this year or late last year earlier this year before all the chaos happened with the coronavirus but um I uh, didn't. Oh, wow. I couldn't find. No stores had them, and I really should get it because they do have it on the PlayStation Store, and it's not that expensive. Yes, it's very. It's not, it's been re released a bunch of different times. It's on Android now too, and I think iPhone as well. I probably um, ra- would rather play it with a controller, and I know I could hook up a Bluetooth, like Bluetooth. Yes, I don't do phone, phone games. But, 
Yeah, I don't do it. I'll, I'll I'll probably just get it through the PS4 store or the Sony and store if, or something. If you want to join the dark side, it runs very well on EPSXE. And you can do some nice... Uh, EPSXE allows you to scale things to 4K, do different type of texture filters, uh, widescreen, you have save states. I'm just saying, there's uh, there's some benefits to the dark side. You want to go the emulator <laughs> route. Save states is a bit... I mean, the, I've been doing this quarantine thing where I've been playing games that I couldn't beat as a kid. And the only reason I can beat them is because I can save at any point and load at any point. So you make it... Instead of the, you know, like old games like turtles on the nes right infamously hard and you die at the start all the way over and start the game from the beginning but with save states like every time you make a little bit of progress you can save you don't have to backtrack to the beginning of the game go through the whole beginning get to where you died and then get, go to the unknown and do a bunch of trial and error and die again yeah it makes it actually possible to beat some of these older games without but while still being like a functional human being with a life <laughs> like yeah there's just no way. Like, I beat Chippendale's Rescue Rangers yesterday, and I beat it in, like, 45 minutes. As a kid, I played that game for months and months and months and could never beat it. Because it that was just... actually pretty easy. I mean, in retrospect, like, I don't know if I could have beaten it as an adult, but... I mean, as a kid, but as an adult... It was way easier was than I expected. Easy. Yeah, I beat it in, like, 45 minutes. Um, there was definitely a few parts that was hard. I beat Gargoyle's Quest recently on Game Boy that I could not beat as a kid. Uh, Turtles, I'm trying to beat Punch-Out right now, which is, I'm on San, I'm on Sandman, and I've done like four or five nights of gaming, uh, mm-hmm. to try to beat Punch-Out, and even with save states, I'm like, oh my, like, I've done Sandman probably like, because I'm trying not to look up, uh, how to beat them online, I'm trying to figure it out on my own, yeah. which I'm, a, well, I'm about to give up on, because I just want to beat it, make the video, and, and move on with my life, I, I'm about I to cave you. in, because Sandman is like, even save states, like, as soon as you die, just hit low, and you're right back to playing another round, another option. Like, I cannot beat him. And I'm just thinking, like, I know kids beat this game at my age. Kids my age at the time figured this game out. And they must have been some type of Einstein geniuses. Because this game, as an adult, I'm having a hard time beating. You just got to find you gotta find his tell. I know. I got to figure is. it out, man. It's hard. He's hard. Uh, that's I like, never, uh, you ever see the, you ever watch speedrunners play this game? Play that oh, game? dude. Speedrunners make me feel like I'm not even worthy to be a human being. <laughs> they, they're on uh, Games Done Quick. They've done blind speedruns. They blindfold the runner, and he beats the entire... He or, she, uh, he or she beats the game based entirely off of sound cues. It's fucking crazy. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Yeah, awesome. they, get, they get crazy. Like, just recently, I watched a speedrun of the new Doom Eternal, which I mm-hmm. beat semi-recently, and they beat the whole game in, like, 18 minutes or something and i watched something it and crazy just, like that it's just retarded but i mean i mean i shouldn't say that it's kind of not a good word to use it's insane i like how do they get so good like i've i've put probably punch out i've put in like five or six nights of gaming and the amount of repetition because of save states and load states i'm probably getting you know maybe like 60 to 70 reps on any given character in a yeah. night that's that's a lot of reps, and I'm like, even with save states, I think I could practice that game for ten years and not be able to beat it by blindfolded by sound. That like that's some. I think not all men are created equal, or not all humans are created equal. <laughs> there are people out there that are just their brains are better than my brain. It's just the way it is. 
I don't know, just better at different things. I mean, maybe some people like uh, some people have more analytical brains. I don't know. I'm taking this so seriously, but yeah, no, I can't do what they do either. It's wild. There's no way that I could put a I could put endless time into Punch Out. I don't think I'd be able to beat it blindfolded. Yeah, the games the games done quick. There's uh, I I'm glad you. That's a hobby of mine too. Is watching speed runs, which very few people can talk to me about because it's kind of a niche. It's a niche thing to watch. <laughs> I've tried it's to, getting less and less niche, though. I mean, that it is, community getting is getting better. so popular now. It's awesome because yes. what is it? The last they just did a GDQ for COVID release, and in two and a half days, they raised like four hundred thousand dollars. That's pretty solid. That's wild. And I mean, the last GDQ, uh, the the winter one, they raised like three million, two and a half, something like that. They broke a record. It was crazy. There's a yeah. There's so many. I I as gaming has gotten more popular, those the outskirting niches like uh, emulation. Like I was talking about texture packs, people hacking games. I'm I'm obviously not smart enough to do that. But when I'm looking for ROM hacks for say Symphony of the Night or texture packs, there's more of a community that there than there was ten years ago. Because I've been into messing oh, around yeah. with emulators oh, for a long time. And video games are getting, I mean, they're, they're getting huge. And because of that, the, 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 the more niche areas are getting bigger. And I, I could see, I don't see speed running getting any smaller. And I also see more young people getting into retro games, even though they didn't grow up playing the same games I did. Cause I'll get, I'll yeah, get people yeah. message me on the podcast or views on TikTok, or whatever. And it's like an 18 year old kid geeking out about Splatterhouse or something. And I'm like, that's weird. Because you should, I mean, I guess I could see it. Like, if you get into music, you might get into music that was pre-your pre, pre your time because if you get into a certain type of music, it makes sense to me. But at the same time, it's also surreal because when I grew up, I, I played sports and stuff. I was pretty balanced, but I got I got ripped a lot about being a gamer. Like, it was not cool that I played JRPGs. Yeah, it's... it's- it's it was very not cool. different now. Yeah. Very it's, different. It's a lot more mainstream. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I can talk, uh, now I can talk openly about being a Final Fantasy nerd, but back in the day, I kept that shit on the DL. <laughs> Did I play through Final Fantasy VIII? No. What are you talking about? I don't know what so you're talking surreal, about. because, like, I would literally bring Final Fantasy strategy guides to school and read them at lunch. Um, no one Your ever gave me shit. school nicer I, than mine. I was one of the few kids, like the few gaming kids, and this is kind of like, I understand this is a very, like, not not everyone's experience. I didn't get bullied, like, at all. The only, <laughs> this is a good story, actually. I had one bully in in school, and he it wasn't because I played video games. Uh, his name, I don't want to say his name, uh, but his first name was Andy. I'll just do that. His first name was we'll Andy. We'll just call him Chad. And Chad sounds like a good bully name. Chad. <laughs> the, actually, there was a dude named Chad in my school, and he was kind of known to be a little bit of a tool, but he actually, I got, there was a kid that was like, like badgering me about something. Cause I sat down at, at lunch and he's like, that's my seat. And he was giving me shit about it. Um, and then this dude Chad, who he's a, he was a jock. He's a jock, and he's like he's a total like you would. He looks like a frat boy, but he stood up for me out of the blue. Super nice guy. Nice. I was really surprised by that. Anyway, way to go, Chad. So this Andy guy, I um he 
bullied me a lot. Like he would, it was never physical. He would never physically hurt me, but it was a lot of verbal bullying and he would just antagonize me a whole bunch. And even when I say bullying, like it's, I'm, it has to be mild compared to it's other mild. people's experiences. Yeah. Cause like, it was just, I, I'm, I was a sensitive kid. So it was probably just a lot bigger in my head. Um, but I remember when I would talk to my parents about it, specifically my mom, she would always, she told me one time, she's like, well, you know, people only bully you because they don't like who they are. So they have, they take it out on you. And I'm always like, well, why that doesn't make sense. If they don't like themselves, why are they doing this to me? And, you know, she did her best to explain that. And so one day it got to the point I was so fed up where he was just like picking on me for so long. And I just looked him in the face. I go, you don't like yourself very much, do you? And he was just so <laughs> taken aback by it. He's like, what? I go, yeah, my mom said, I, and I literally said that. I'm like, my mom said that people who like who are mean to others, it's because they don't like themselves. You don't like yourself very much, do you? And the kid was just so like shook by it. He just goes, yeah, I don't, I don't really like who I am. Wow. You shut I, him down. With the yeah, truth. and we were friends after that. Nice. Yeah, I, I, uh, I didn't get bullied, bullied. Um, but I would, I think partially, I grew up in uh, Utah and Utah County, which, especially in the 80s and 90s, was literally like 98% Mormon. There wasn't, I didn't know anyone who wasn't Mormon. And in Mormon culture, uh, at least at the time, I don't know how it is now, I'm not super piped into the culture right now, but at the time, video games was like, not like devil, like the evil, but like a complete waste. Yeah. And so, like, a lot of kids were told that about their parents, because a lot of parents were worried about video games. And so, a lot of kids would just kind of, like, just look down on me like I'm a, I'm a loser. But I was actually really smart. I got, like, four O's all through school, and I didn't care. But I, w I would definitely, it was sort of like you were saying, it was verbal, like, just people talking shit. And because when you're 13 or 14 in junior high, you're so sensitive and so self-conscious that I didn't like getting made, f like, I didn't like just the teasing. And so I wouldn't talk about video games unless it was with another kid I knew that was a legit OG. Like, I had one friend that would play, like, RPGs. He had an yeah. unlocked PS1, and he would play them in Japanese. Like, he would import the games that didn't come to America and play that JRPGs. And I could, Holy like, shit. I could I geek out with him. Like yeah. But you, had a, you must have had a good school, man. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. Like my cousins, people would just it again. It was it was viewed as a it was viewed lower than even TV. Like sitting around and watching TV, it was just viewed as like a complete total waste of time. Yeah. And so if you spent a lot of time playing games, it was just like, oh, that kid's doing nothing with his with his life. He's a loser. I don't know. That's how no, it was it's, for me. It's it's interesting because you you see it a lot like. Gaming means a lot to people of our age and older and maybe a little bit younger too. Like, I don't know when the perception started to shift within the public eye, but like it, video games mean a lot to people our age. And like I was saying, just because it was looked down upon for so long, like you were saying, and since it's so much more um, accepted now, and that's, that's a good thing. Like, I don't, I don't, it, if, people are still getting into games and they're still as passionate about games as, as we are now, then that's good. It's, it's good that they don't have to go through the stigmas and stereotypes that 
kind of have been associated with gamers for a while um and it's gonna it's gonna take a while to to completely go away i mean just because it's more socially accepted in schools now doesn't mean that it's still socially accepted outside of it like you i mean look at how you know legislators and like other people like older older people still still around like view games in general like hell even my parents like they were super supportive of it but like they definitely um they definitely probably don't they they definitely probably for at least a long while thought that my gaming habit was a huge waste of time uh even though they weren't rude about it they never really chastised me for it or like scolded me for it uh i'm sure there's a lot of moments where they thought that and it's it's going to take a long time for that stigma to get to go away and uh, the big reason is like gaming is still in video games are still in its infancy like if you look at other mediums like film and like literature has been around for you know centuries like film is isn't is just becoming like a century old now and it yes. took it took a good while for films to become to consider this piece of high art uh yep. video games are approaching 50 years old ish ish like ish yeah um and that's if you think about it though like films were already big by 50 years like 50 years after film you you hit the 70s you know like the the 60s and 70s so film was already like huge so gaming's just taking a little bit longer but in the grand scheme of all media it's still in its infancy i agree and it, it's already um i've heard this stat thrown around i don't know how accurate it is correct me if i'm wrong but that as a whole including like esports free-to-play console games, PC games, the, the whole ecosystem as a whole, uh, more revenue than music and movies combined. I don't know if that's true, but I've that's, heard that from I don't know the stats in front I don't have the stats in front of me, but I've heard that stat in numerous places from numerous credible sources and other stuff like that. No, you're okay, right. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, let's uh, wrap this up. I have one more question for you, which is what is the game that's not out yet that you're most excited about? And then give us a rundown on where everyone can find you and find your podcast. All right. Um, a game that I'm looking forward to that is not out yet, I would probably say... Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk. That's actually... I was honestly thinking that. Even though I'm yes. not like... like I'm not a huge fan of the Witcher games. Not because I, I think they're bad. I just haven't had much chance. Like, I've, I've been playing through The Witcher 2 for the first time somewhat recently. And it's not bad. It's it's definitely, like, a lot of the things that I have issues uh, with, I'm forgiving because it's, you know, almost a decade old now. I think or The Witcher 2 is, a, is a pretty shitty game, to be honest. I love The Witcher 3, but Witcher 1 and 2 are, they're clunky. I just, it is what it is. That's 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 what it is, but, um, yeah, so I, I'm curious, though. Like, I like the atmosphere that I'm seeing. I like the, um, the whole aesthetic that they're going for that CD Project Red is going for with Cyberpunk, so I'm I'm curious about that. Um, for my podcast, though, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Still Loading Pod on all of them. You can also email me stillloadingcontact at gmail If you want to check out my website, you can go to stillloadingpodcast.com Or if you want to support the show, uh, I was about to say rate, review, subscribe, but do that for you uh, because that's uh, this is your show. But you if you can also check me out on Patreon, Patreon.com slash Still Loading Pod. Um, 
I'm also partnered with a nonprofit organization. This is probably more important. Well, not probably. It's more important than any of my plugs. It's, they're called the Bit by Bit Foundation. And you can go to hmm. bitbybitfoundation.org. What they do is they put video games in the hands, video games, excuse me, video game consoles and video games in the hands of children receiving inpatient care in hospitals, you know, long-term, long-term inpatient care. So you can check out their website and donate if you feel so inclined. That's a really good idea. Yeah, they, that's a uh, really good uh, idea. A guy I used to work with at uh, one of my old jobs is one of the part is one of the founders of it. And when I saw him posted on Facebook, I was like, "Holy shit! I need to see if I can partner up with them." Like, I'm not like there's no money at all. I'm just shouting them out every fucking chance I get because yeah. I think it's a really cool thing that they're doing. Dude, if my kid was stuck in the hospital and I didn't have money and someone brought my kid a game, I mean, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. I would love you for the rest of my life. Yeah, that they, would be, and they're that would like, be, you yeah. can, they're, they're like, they're legit. Like they've been fully accredited and everything. You can check it all out on their website. So there it's, it's funny. Cause that kid, he's like, um, I didn't talk to him for, for a while. And then when I saw him post, we post that we got, we caught up, but he like, I, I love that kid. Cause he was, he's, he's a little bit younger than me, but while I was at a grocery store, I worked at, and this kid would practice picking locks in between bagging orders he was a bagger and what he would do is he would like bag an order of groceries and then just pull out a shitload of padlocks from his pockets <laughs> and then just start picking them and then when another bagging order came he would just slide them back in so he, he he's uh he's the type of person that doesn't waste he's always uh what's the word he's extracting as much value out of his time as possible he taught himself calculus over the summer for fun during high school yeah i know kids like this yes yeah i know kids like this crazy smart but uh yeah so bit by bit foundation.org you can check it out yeah i'm gonna definitely check it out i will plug it at the on the intro of the podcast as well Put the applicable links in the description thank you so much for hopping on short notice i mean for those you know I hit you up like yesterday or the day before. I think. You hit me up while I was sleeping last night. I saw it. it was like, uh, and I woke up in the morning. I actually, I woke up in the middle of the night, saw your message. I was like, I, I didn't even read it. I saw, would you be interested in coming? I'm like, I think that means he's going to ask me to come onto the podcast. Uh, I'll read it more tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I stay up really late, uh, since, especially since quarantine. So my sleeping habits have been a little weird. Uh, yeah, thank has. you. Thank you so much for coming on. I uh, again, like I reached out to a bunch of people. Retro Hanger, Retro Hangover. Again, shout out to them. They came on. You came on. I'm surprised at how many people, um, not just say no, but they say no by not even responding. A little weird. Uh, to it's, me, it's, but, uh, it's. I mean, it's. I mean, the thing is that you always have to ask. But yeah, I'm not surprised by. Like, I've asked a bunch of people that, um, that I would hope. Were to, would come on the podcast and just never hear back from. But like asking is how you get anywhere. Um, like I said before, I interviewed uh, Austin Wintory, the composer of Journey. He also did Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Um, Ooh, okay. He, he's done a number of games. I emailed him last year just saying, hey, I'm a huge fan of Journey. I would love to interview. And I didn't hear anything from him for like two months. And then all of a sudden he's like, hey, I'm sorry I didn't notice this email until now. I would love to come on. That hooked me up with his PR company, and then they just randomly email me every now and then. They hook me up with interviews with video game composers. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's that's my plan moving forward as I'm going to reach out more, and I understand that there's going to be, like, a, a big percentage is not going to respond, but when they do, 
you're going to get connections that lead to more connections and more connections. Um, I just, it's just like, I don't know. People reach out to me at my day job all the time. I get asked, I get like 20 emails, maybe 15 to 20 a day. I do marketing stuff and it's like either interviews or questions or podcasts or, uh, selling me something. And I take the time to at least tell them no so that they know that the answer is no. And then they don't also, it's partially selfish. They don't keep following up and sending me more stuff thinking I didn't see it or something. (laughs) Um, So it's 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 a win-win situation for all parties in that. Yeah. yeah, I feel like, so I've been, I mean the video of the, this podcast for me is like, was just been something I've done on the side, like for fun. Um, mm-hmm. recently with quarantine, I've been putting more time into it, creating more content outside of just, uh, interviews or podcasts, like doing more videos and stuff online. And so I started reaching out to people like, well, maybe I'll just start reaching out. And I think I just was a little, what's the word naive about my expectations. Um, so I had to, yeah. reality had to humble me a little bit. Let's, we'll say that. <laughs> It's good for me, though. It's good for me. I, that's a long-winded way of saying I really appreciate you. Short notice, turning around and hopping on the podcast, responding. I, I knew it was going to be a good podcast. I could tell from stalking you online that, um, and I was legitimately uh, impressed about how much history and knowledge you had. Usually, usually I'm the one in the room that knows the most, but the more I've been doing the podcast and talking to more other podcasters, I realize I'm just a, I'm just a small fish small fish in an even smaller pond and there's some real like it sounds like this retronaut podcast you brought up a couple of times i'm gonna have to Dude, check them they, out they know so much like i'm i don't know anything compared to them like they have they can name develop like individual developer like individual people within developer teams and shit like that like it's wild it just i i love i just love video game history and it's like the thing that i i like i enjoyed about talking to you and like other people in in this kind of like podcast sphere that I've been starting to get involved with. Well, I mean, starting it's been five fucking years, but um, <laughs> they it, with gaming specifically, the community is and it's interesting because I mean, I guess like with anything in life, the one thing that I notice with gaming is that a lot of times it tends to be a dick measuring contest. Like, who knows more? Who's the better gamer? Who's the most? Who's the gamiest gamer out there? And I fucking yes. hate that. Like, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. So like. Part of it is like I it's I'm not always good at taking compliments, but the other part is I never want anyone to think that like just because I waste I shouldn't say waste I spend a lot of time like doing going into video games that means like they're they don't know anything I don't know it just I didn't get that vibe from you but I always just like to clarify that it's just like it's just a passion of mine like video gamers like gamers in general can be can be dicks but there's a lot there's a lot of good people out there and there's a lot of good gamers out there that are just want to talk you know just talk about this type of stuff and that's why i've really enjoyed this podcast i still can't believe we're going on in almost three hours i know every time i do it i'm like hey i want to be like fast efficient but i just end up having too much fun and they go i'm like you know what and when i look at my stats the listen to completion rate is pretty decent so it seems like people are staying what's the word they're staying locked in they're staying entertained for the most part i I did want to bring up i think you're right most gamers are I've never really had a bad experience bringing someone on or as a guest or talking about video games. But when I read the comments specifically on anyone who's an influencer, who's female. Yeah. I get a little like, Ooh, 
this is what people yeah, look there, down on there's gamers. Uh, there's yes. a little bit of sexism. I, I know that kind of comes off as like wokeish type of like holier than thou culture, but like there is there is some legitimacy to that. I used to work oh, at GameStop, and my uh, and my two my bosses were both female. And it didn't happen to me. That, it didn't happen to me, but I was there one time when it happened where uh, someone she they they would go out and say, "Hey, how can I help you?" And they they wouldn't t- ask them a question because they were a girl. Yeah, people get and, people get weird. Like I'm, I'm I'm definitely most people would not consider me on the the woke side of the spectrum. <laughs> um, I'm pretty loosey goosey with everything, but. Even with th- those standards, I will see stuff online. Or there's this one girl, Cruz Adar. She's got like 800,000 followers on TikTok. She's like a she's a streamer, and she doesn't. In her defense, she doesn't ever wear anything re- like she wears. She's very like proper. It's just her face. She doesn't use sex at all as part of her brand. And she yeah. still, I still the stuff I read. I'm like, good lord. Like, well, and like, even if, even if sex is part of the brand, it's like, I never, like, that's just pure jealousy at that point. Cause like, no yes. one's forcing anyone to watch There's them, nothing you know? wrong. Like, sex sells. Yeah. I have nothing it's against like, it. Don't get me wrong. I understand like the jealousy of it. It's cause like, you know why people are viewing that, that channel. But at the same time, that is not that person's fault. Like, nope. They, like, they aren't forcing anyone to watch their content or listen to their content or whatever. It's, that's just how it is. You know, like you, it's, it's a weird thing to be mad at them for it. It's like, no, you should be mad at everyone watching it because they're choosing to the, the, the streamer you is not be strong mad, arming yes. them. I, I get jealous, but in the way of like, I would totally do it. If I was a beautiful woman and doing this podcast, it would for <laughs> sure grow faster. And I'm okay with that. In fact, if you're a beautiful woman listening to this and you want to start a podcast, you should do it because you should, Look, it's no one's fault if you, like you said, it's not your fault. It's the the looks department is just a genetic lottery, and you can't get mad at someone for looking good. And so they happen to be into gaming, and that happens to help them. What are you, you going to do? Like turn the world upside down? If you have a problem with that, you have a problem with God or whatever created. Like that's not that's not anyone's. That's not anyone. I agree a hundred percent. But I do get let down sometimes, especially or comments. I mean. If, the, if I read the comments on an IGN post or a YouTube video, and I just think, man, gamers are at least the gamers who comment are they don't they don't give us they don't give us a good look. That's what no, I should say. No, they do not. They do not give us and a good look. It's it's just like there's there is a stigma around girls who play video games that is unfair because it's like if if, a, if there's an attractive girl who's into games then there is almost that perception where because of how gaming has been for so long that's like well no you're just there's no way you like video games you can't there's just no way and that's not the case at all there's it's it's uh, it's there's so many girls who just happen to be attractive or into video games. And it's just, it's an unfortunate stereotype that consistently plays out. And I don't know when it's going to go away, but hopefully it goes away at some point. And inevitably, if you're an attractive girl, not just gaming, but online, uh, like, you know, if you're any sort of influencer or social platform and you're an attractive girl online, you are inevitably getting bombarded with the most terrible messages. Every, single day and that blows my mind because like look i'm again i'm like super loose i joke i like you joked about swearing i'm like wow you probably never seen my my tiktok video or my instagram videos lately i swear <laughs> like a sailor in every single one of them 
um, I'm like very, very lax, right? And uh, um, I would never, like, even in my drunkest, most terrible moments, send messages like some of the shit I've seen people share. Like, this is like uh, maybe a certain influencer will be like, this is what I'm dealing with. And they'll like block someone's name out and show a message, right? And you just, I, I just recently, because I have, I have two young daughters, four and uh, three and four. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to be more aware of like what the world is like. I've been completely oblivious to all of this up until like a few years ago. And I'm thinking more about social media and my daughters and like the dangers. And then I've been researching it more and following more influences who are female and then getting exposed to the problems that they complain about and that like them sharing messages and sharing stories. And it honestly, it terrifies me. I believe it. Terrifies it. me. I believe it. Yeah, I don't know. But I don't know how you prepare a girl for for what's out the there. The only way is other women have to. Like we, yeah. like we won't know what it's like because we didn't have to experience it. At least not. Yeah. I mean, maybe some guys have, depending on like how they grew up. But uh, the women, women, women have to because they they're the only ones that know. They only they're the only ones that have to deal with that shit. So, and it's just it's an awful it's awful. But it's it yeah. I don't know, but anyway, we should we could we should end this on a happier note. Yes, first the happy note is not. I I do think this that the people who are online arguing in comment sections or sending terrible messages to people online, I do think they're the minority. They're just they're the oh, ones yeah. that okay. get the most attention. They're loud. It's the vocal minority. Yes, very vocal. The rest of us are chill. Thank you so much. Um, anything else you want to say before we peace? No, uh, just if you want to check out more of my stuff, check out the Still Loading Podcast. It's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, Stitcher. I don't know any places. You can check it all out. Um, Yeah, and I just do a lot of modern retro game content. So, yeah. All right, check it out. And we're going to end recording in three, two, one. Stop. All right, you made it to the end of the podcast. I applaud you. The gaming gods will definitely bless you with blessings from upon high in such a large amount that there shall not be room to receive them in your storehouses because you support the One True Gaming Podcast and the One True Gaming Prophet, which is yours truly next week on the podcast. I believe we have another podcast. Uh, Actually, no. We don't have another podcast di- uh, guest. We have 16-bit gaming, I believe. To tell you the truth, I don't really know. Uh, I've been going hard in the paint trying to get you guys dope guests. I have been emailing a bunch of developers, a bunch of PR. Like, I want to get some like really cool people who actually worked on games in the past, retro games. Um, inspired by Patrick Hickey Jr., who is the author behind the minds behind the games. Uh, he inspired me that like, hey, if he can get these people to talk to him for interviews for a book, I should be able to get some of these people to talk to me in the form of a podcast. Spoiler alert, it's harder than it seems, but I'm going to keep trucking away. I'm going to hopefully get you guys some dope shit coming in the future. Until then, trust in your prophet. Trust in the plan. The lords, the gods, they know what's up. I say these things to me. The holy ghost. Goodbye.